Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. And a good Saturday morning, sports fans. How are you? Appreciate you being up and at it with us on WIP. That would be me, Jordan McDonald, in for Glenn Mack now and his usual partner, my partner today for a Saturday morning get-together. That would be one Mike Sealski. How are you, Mike? Doing wonderful, Jody. I was at the ballpark last night sitting in Section 114 watching Francisco Lindor lose that pop-up in the lights. You think that's what it was? You think it was in the lights? I, that's certainly how he reacted. It looked like he just lost it at the last second there, that uh, he couldn't see it. Uh, I just know that, boy, the Mets gave the Phillies some outs and some runs and kind of handed them that 5-1 to one victory last night. And after uh, our friend in left field, Kyle Schwarber, kind of misplayed the ball the day before badly, which was a nail in the coffin for that game, it was nice to see the other team and the Phillies won for a change. Uh, Nimmo dropped a fly ball in the first inning as well. So a sloppy game turned in by the Mets, and the Phillies got their first win of the season against New York after having dropped a complete three-game series early on. Uh, yeah, I couldn't tell if it was just a miscommunication on the, the Lindor play or if he lost it in the lights. Anyway, you slice it, Mike, take it, right? It doesn't matter how it happened, why it happened. All you know is that it did happen, and the Phillies find, found a way to come back and get a quick win after that uh, two-game disappointing series against Atlanta. Yeah, big on two levels, Jody. Obviously, it's good to beat the Mets. You want to put as much distance as possible uh, between yourselves and them. Phillies are, what, five games up on them now. The Mets have been kind of in free fall for a while here. And, you know, they spend an awful lot of money on that roster, and they have a lot of talent. And if you're the Phillies, you want to keep them there. Uh, but I think to your point, and even in a way more importantly, the Phillies needed to bounce back after those mm-hmm. those two games to the Braves. It was so disheartening, N- not just to lose to the Braves like that at home, but the way that they lost both of those games. Uh, so if you're a Phillies fan, it was good to see them rebound last night. Absolutely was. So they get a 5-1 win. Another nice effort from a starting pitcher. I know we've been getting on the starters a little bit. Aaron Nola, not the most popular guy in town. Um, yes, their fifth starter has not been good. And we're going to get another look at Christopher Sanchez, who was good in his uh, outing his last time out. And maybe he just claims that fifth starter spot. And that'll give us something less to uh, pull our hair out about. Here was the one downside. Ah, Maybe I'm an idiot for going negative. I I thought you were my partner today, not Howard S. Yeah, 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 I know. But I'm not going to crush anybody like Howard does. But I I will put out a question. Bryce Harper gets a hit in the first inning, drives in a run. 
He's a guy who, because he's Bryce Harper and he is the best player on the Phillies and they're committed to him for another decade and the heroics of last year's playoff run, including in the uh, World Series, even though they didn't win it. Bryce has gotten, for me, a pretty good pass this year. Uh, Granted that he comes back early and we're talking July and he's back in early May and everybody loves his toughness and his grittiness and the fact that he plays to the hometown crowd. He really isn't having that good a year. He's uh, hitting close to 300, but it's not a tremendously productive 300. For the amount of uh, chances he has with guys on base and what he's hitting and producing, it really is pretty poor and you don't hear many complaints about Harper because he's Harper and sure enough he steps up in the first inning gets a clutch hit gets the Phillies off on the right foot and two nothing lead that they never gave up and then he gets tossed later in the game arguing with an umpire because he didn't like a call Mike am I within my rights to say there's just something not right about the Phillies highest paid player uh, yeah, I'm throwing you in jail for violation of uh, Philly's analysis rights here, Jody. <laughs> I think the fact that Harper came back as early as he did uh, rightly earns him some grace from the fan base. Uh, his OPS is still over 800. It's not like he's been a total black hole in the middle of the lineup. And as far as last night goes, with him getting thrown out of the game, that happened so quickly and almost silently. <laughs> if you were in the stand, you were like, Oh my gosh, the, the umpire just just threw Bryce Harper out of the game. I am never more old school about sports than I am about baseball. I freely admit this. And the fact that Harper got thrown out just for that kind of second comment that he made after he struck out in that at bat, I got to be honest, Jody, I like seeing players and umpires jaw. I like seeing managers and umpires jaw. I don't want Bryce Harper thrown out of a game for giving it to the umpire a little bit. I'm part of the reason if I'm a fan I'm there is to see Bryce Harper and to be entertained a little bit by the back and forth between umpires and baseball players and managers. I, I put far more of that uh, on the umpire than I do on Harper. All right. I, that I can buy into. Um, if it was just not Bryce Harper we were talking about, a guy who you, you covered for him pretty good there. 162 ABs, three home runs, 17 RBIs. Mr. Old School. Those are the old school numbers, right? They uh, are. They are. Bryce Harper, three home runs, 17 RBIs, and 162 at-bats. They, there's really no way to defend it. You can try, but good, good luck ahead. He hasn't been productive this year. And maybe I'm reading into it because I'm looking for an answer on why Harper is struggling in these categories, why he's not the right in the middle of the lineup uh, and producing runs and getting runners home, that I don't want to go completely nuts on him, so I'm looking for an answer. Is he not 100%? Did he come back too early? Is he in his own head a little bit? Again, the game hadn't been decided, and he did get tossed. I'm with you. I think the umpire was a little quick on the trigger. Mike Easterbrook, by the way, was the umpire. Okay, you want to get on Mike Easterbrook? I'm, I'm with you. I'll go hand in hand on that. I didn't. You're right. It was pretty damn quick. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Harper got tossed. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really see it either. But that's part of what a championship player, a superstar player, has got to know. He's got to know when he is or isn't going to get tossed, and he didn't know that, and he got tossed last night. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll continue to ask the question. There's something just not right about Bryce Harper. You say, Jody, don't sweat it. He's a champ because he came back that quick. He gets a pretty long pass from me. 
my pass is about up. I, I'd like to have an answer or at least some good speculation on why Harper hasn't been the, the run-producing guy that they need him to be in the middle of the lineup. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. I also look at it this way, though, Jody. There are other guys in that lineup who have not delivered in the way that they're supposed to deliver, and I would put them ahead of Harper in the pecking order of blame, so to speak, right? Really? Like, well, I mean, look, Kyle Schorber was a no-show for the first two months of the season, right? I mean, he's been great in June because he's always great in June, but it didn't help that he was, you know, hitting, what, 160 for the first two months. You look at Trey Turner. Trey Turner, you, you can make, I, I suppose, a similar excuse or give a similar reasoning for why he slumped throughout this season. He has to adjust to Philadelphia. Maybe he's pressing all of those things. Those seem to me to be less defendable reasons than the one that Harper has, which is he came back early from an injury that most people thought would keep him out till at least the All-Star break. So, you know, when it comes to assigning blame to the lineup, and don't get me wrong, the last couple of days they have not exactly knocked the cover off the ball. You know, it's funny how right, the, everybody, yeah, the, the criticism of the Phillies has shifted from, boy, the starting pitching is the real reason that they're not winning to, hey, the starting pitching has been great and they're not driving the ball in the way that they need to drive the ball. Uh, for me, I put Harper behind Schorber and Turner when it comes to pointing the finger at the offensive guys who haven't been delivering. Well, at least Schwarber and Turner have had hot streaks. Uh, I'm I'm waiting on that Bryce Harper hot streak. I know it's going to kick in any day now, any week now, but I'm still kind of waiting for it. And it just kind of came to the forefront again last night when he did get tossed out again. Now, it didn't hurt the Phillies because Taiwan Walker was outstanding again. He's a guy who got off to a little bit of a slow start, and people are looking at how much the Phillies paid him during this offseason. Another questionable pitching decision by Dombrowski. Damn, he's gotten good over the last month. Again, a guy who's gotten hot. You look at the overall numbers, they're good. They're solid. You look at the last couple of starts, they're pretty close to outstanding, and he was outstanding again last night. And, yes, the Philly bullpen got the job done. Uh, I know it was on the other night when – uh, Hoffman came in and mm-hmm. couldn't get the job done. How can they put Hoffman in the game? Well, Hoffman had been uh, unscored upon on seven of his last eight outings. I didn't think it was so much the manager's fault as it was. Uh, hey, give me your opinion on this. The fact that they had three pitchers who were not available the other night. Mm-hmm. Decision by the organization, decision by the pitching coach, decision by the manager. I know the manager eventually has to sign off on it, but does he really want to go when someone from the front office, from the analytics department, getting the message to Dombrowski who then drops it on the manager's door? Do you really want to fight the fight and go, no, we have to have them available for tonight's game? People were just crushing the manager for the fact that he brought Hoffman in. I didn't blame him. I blame the organization. How about you? Yeah, look, I think some of this, and Rob Ellis and I kicked this around last week, some of this to me is the NFLication of all sports uh, where you take and fixate on the result of one game, and that's kind of a fool's errand in the NBA and the NHL because you play 82 games in the regular season, and it's really foolish in Major League Baseball where there's 162 games. Look, Hoffman had been pitching well, and you can't, you cannot during a regular season baseball season play every game if it, as if it's week 16 of the NFL season or if it's the middle of September. If a guy's pitching well and your hands are tied by the organization telling you only so many guys are available, 
then you throw that guy out there and see how he does. And there's no way to know if a guy like Hoffman can pitch against the Braves in a big spot unless you give him an opportunity to pitch against them in June when it matters a little bit less. So I didn't have much of an issue with that. It didn't work out. You know, tip your cap to the Braves, say a bad day for Hoffman, and you kind of move on. Agreed. And one of my ex-partners, Susan Waldman, uh, color analyst for the Yankees on their radio network, uh, had a great line to make the point you're trying to make. The Yankees, who are very pressurized and under a major microscope up in New York, play a series of 162-game regular season yep. series. Yep. Uh, that, that's it. Every day is a new day and an all-important day and an all-deciding day that tells you the story of the entire team over 162 games. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes, and sometimes it's that way here in Philadelphia as well. Yeah, look, I mean, Jeff Hoffman had a rough day. That happens. Uh, but we all have to have something to talk about in the aftermath of Jeff Hoffman having a rough day, and it doesn't get us very far to say, well, he just didn't have his stuff, and the Braves are really good. And, oh, by the way, last night, six innings out of your starter into a good inning by Soto, into a good inning by Alvarado, into a good inning by Kimbrell for the save. Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be drawn up. I, I, I'm pretty sure that Rob Thompson knows it, but he's got to have all those guys available and uh, have them get the job done, which is exactly what happened last night. He's Mike Sielski. I'm Jody McDonald in for Glenn Mack now today. So it's Mack and Mike here with you for the next three hours. We had two good guests coming your way, one on the hometown hoop squad, which I'll talk about, Mike, the inactivity of the Sixers on mm-hmm. draft night the other night, and also a uh, Phillies guest a little bit later on. But our number one is your chance to chime in with me and Mike. Hit me up on our telephone lines, 215-592-9494. Thanks for getting aboard on a Saturday morning here on 94 WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Oh, for sure, we'll be talking Sixers basketball today. We being Mike Sielski, Jody McDonald here with you on 94 WIP. Derek Bodner from uh, DailySix.com. Sixers beat guy is going to jump in about 35 minutes from now. Uh, we got his take on what did or didn't happen on draft night. A little later in the show, Matt Breen, a reporter, feature writer for the uh, Inquirer, still gets down to the Phillies games all the time, so we'll pick his brain a little bit about the Phils. Phone's open if you want to get on with uh, Mike and I. Hit us up, 215-592-9494. One last question I want to get in for you, Mike, since mm-hmm. you're uh, very well uh, capable of answering it. And last night's Phillies broadcast was an Apple game. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to watch it on TV, which I did, uh, you had to be on Apple. Yes. And I'll get my uh, always registered complaint. I got no problems with streaming. 
I pay for what I got to pay for, and I don't pay for what I don't think is worth it. And yeah, we'll do what we're watching tomorrow. And I got some streaming stuff there, but I'm so, it's just stone cold annoying. When you want to go flip to something else <laughs> and you got to get out of the streaming and you got to wait, you got to hit the exit button three times and then you punch up what you want and they're in a commercial on the other game. So you'd like to get back to the other, but then you got to wait for the streaming. You got to go back to it. You got to pick the channel. You gotta- I think it would be a great children's book, Jody. Jody McDonald and his itchy flipper finger. Oh, I think we could, we could make it happen. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guilty as charged. And I know I sound like the old man get off well, my lawn, but I'm sorry. It's a pain in my rear end. You, you know what to me is a bigger pain, Jody? And I've heard other people express this thought, and I agree with them completely, which is sports in general, and I think baseball in particular, shouldn't be in the business of making it harder for people to mm-hmm. find their product. Baseball is a routine-oriented sport. You sit down at 7 o'clock at night, you flip to the same channel to see the same team that you saw the night before and the night before that. And when you have situations where the Phillies are on NBC Sports Philadelphia one night or afternoon and then on Apple the next night and then Fox the next day, you're you're creating headaches for your consumers uh, at a time when it doesn't take much for those consumers to say, you know what? I don't need to watch this anymore. I'll go watch a rerun of this movie or I'll find this other thing to do. Uh, And that I don't think is particularly smart by Major League Baseball. And, oh, by the way, you're right, but I can get past that. That's not a problem. You want to talk about uh, technology, grab your remote control and say into it, Phillies baseball, boom, and they take you there. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard. You can get there wherever you got to get. They do the work for you. All you got to do is say something to your remote control. But then you have to wait. And wait and wait some more and hit the button four times before you actually get the get. So, yeah, I got a pain in the rear end on that one. But uh, you didn't have to deal with that last night because you were down there at the game watching it in the stands. I was. As a fan, not a member of the media, as a fan. How big a Met house was it? I fear today's going to be a big one because uh, the Mets big fan group is coming down and one of theirs is going to be able to throw out the first pitch of the game. We get off on a tangent on that, but mm-hmm. I prefer not to. Um, but just last night, before a big Met infusion of fans tomorrow, how Met a crowd was it? It was not a particularly big Met crowd, Jody, I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, the weather. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I went down with my wife, my two sons, and my father, and it was touch and go for the hours leading up to the game. Hey, are we going to make the drive down? What's the weather going to be like? And I think a lot of other people played that same sort of push and pull game, and so it wasn't really until the third or fourth inning that the ballpark started to fill up. And even when it did, there weren't all that many Mets fans, and those Mets fans who were there weren't all that loud. I think the other factor was it was Pride Night at Citizens Bank Park. So different kind of crowd, you know, maybe not entirely full, uh, ballpark not entirely full of regular Phillies fans, just people who happened to be there that night, which is great. You know, no issues with that at all. Uh, it was just a different kind of crowd for a Phillies-Mets game, and it didn't have that same kind of energy. I think the weather and the timing had a lot to do with that. That's the way it came across when I got there after waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for my Apple uh, spot to land on my TV. It didn't sound like a big Met crowd because I remember that series from last year. It was all Mets all three days, Mm -hmm. even though they had less. Maybe one day it was close to a 50-50 split, even though it was more 70-30 Phillies fans. The Mets fans were just louder. 
Now the Mets also were well above 500. I, I was just going to the- yeah, I was just going to say that, Jody. The other final circumstance that I missed is that the Mets are now seven games under 500 yeah. and floundering. Last year they were on top of the world. So we'll see uh, what kind of crowd shows up for the four o'clock start. Remember, you get all your action right here on 94 WIP first pitch a little after four this afternoon. Sealskin McDonald here with you on WIP. Phones open. Phil's to start. Oh, yeah, we got six or stuff to get in. If you want to go there right away, you can hop on our phone lines, 215-592-9494. Joe from Delaware has. Joe, you're up on 94 WIP. Hey, Jody. How are you? We're good. I, I, I tell you, Jody, I love listening to you. You're, you're the old radio uh, star, but picking on Bryce Harper is a little bit <laughs> younger guy. Like, you know, one of the other guys on this talk radio show that's all negative. Bryce Harper had, you know, Tommy John surgery. He shouldn't even be back yet. And if he wasn't back yet, who would be our DH and who would be playing the outfield? Who would be our DH? Oh, that'd be real easy. His name is Kyle Schwarber. That's where you should write his name in every single day because Kyle's an adventure in left field. Who's going to play left field? Oh, I'd put Pache out there. He's looking pretty good to me. He's playing pretty well, at least right now. No, he, too, just got back from an injury, but uh, he's already made some plays with his glove, made some plays with his wheels. Yeah, I, I'd be okay with Pache in left field. But but with with uh, Harper, I mean, he is bat, his batting average is good. I mean, his home runs, nobody should be expecting him to hit more than 20 home runs this year. I, I mean – a Tommy John surgery, pitchers don't come back for a whole year, and maybe even longer. I mean, that takes a lot of power out of that swing. And, and I, I mean, I, I got to give it to him. I mean, he came back. He came back early. He's trying to help the team. I'd rather have somebody trying to help the team than when I look at the NBA and I see a, a bead or Harden take off a whole week because they got a hangnail. I mean, he is what Philadelphia is all about. He came out, and he's playing. And I, I got to give him credit. I, I would stick up for for him all the time right now. Uh, so you, I, I'm just you guys, you guys are, I back. guess I'm a harsher grader than what you guys are. I hold Harper, although <laughs> I give him credit for being a guy who busted it to get back, and he's uh, certainly got a good attitude. I'm going to kind of judge him on his production as per what he's supposed to be doing for this team. And I'm sorry, these are not superstar numbers. Well, one one addendum to what you're saying, though, Jody, you had mentioned earlier that Harper really hadn't had a hot streak uh, since he came back. I would argue that his first 20 games, uh, from the moment he returned through those first 20 games, he was, he was great. He had a 984 uh, OPS. He hit the three home runs he's hit. Now, granted, he hasn't hit a home run in almost a month. May 25th was his last one. But he oh, back- hey, Mike, Mike, don't say that out loud. Uh, <laughs> uh, some people may think that you're tearing Bar- Bryce Harper down. Here, here's the difference. <laughs> here's the difference, though, Jody. Through those 20 games, when, when he came out of the gate, coming back from the Tommy John recovery, uh, he, he was really hitting the ball well. He hit 347, as I said, three homers, six doubles. In those 20 games, the Phillies went 8-12 and 12 because their starting pitching was so bad. Uh, and now it's kind of the inverse, right? Like, we've got Aaron Nola pitching well. Taiwan Walker, Zach Wheeler, Ranger Suarez are all going. And Harper has, you know, slid off a little bit in his production. But 
I, I do think you're being a little unduly harsh on him, Jody. Uh, Gotta be honest. Uh, just uh, the, the one number that kind of jumps off the page for me: runners in scoring position, 182. We always note that Kyle Schwab is always hitting about 182. And yes. why the hell is Kyle Schwab <laughs> at the top of the lineup where he can only hit 182? Well, why is Bryce Harper batting third or fourth in this lineup day in and day out when he's hitting 182 with runners in scoring position? Well, who else? Well, he's he's hitting fourth right now, right? Castellanos batted third last night, and you're not going to argue with that because Castellanos has been good all year. Uh, you're batting him fourth because who else are you going to bat fourth? Uh, you're not going to put Schwarber back down there. You like him in the leadoff spot. Uh, they've got uh, Turner you, you back. Need a second. Name? Do you yeah, need a name? Yeah, give me a name. Go ahead. Alex Bohm. Uh, Bohm is the, the, the most clutch hitter they have on the entire team. He's got the most RBIs. Uh, and he's batting seventh. Or he's, I don't have the numbers in front of me, or he's coming up more often with men on base. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think you're being a little tough on Harper. I think if this goes on for another couple of weeks and it's really, really – Costing them ball games—that's another thing. Uh, but as I said, he—he's back early from an injury that, again, by all normal uh, projections, he shouldn't be playing right now. We all thought he was going to be back after the All Star break, and and not only that, there is the possibility too that he's going to end up playing first base at some point this season. Right? He's been learning how to play first. I think in a perfect world. For the Phillies, you're able to put Harper at first, and that gives you a little bit more lineup flexibility. Now, I don't know how well he can play the position defensively, but that's certainly what they're pointed toward, it seems to me, is being able to put him at first base, make Schwarber the designated hitter, and then maybe you can get your better outfield defense uh, by not having Schwarber and Castellanos in the corners. All right, so let me ask you this question. Do we both agree that Kyle Schwarber's number one position should be Designated hitter. Agreed. Unless you're okay. going to send him out in left field with a hard hat because uh, that, he may need that, it. That could be helpful. Um, but if you're, you're you're acknowledging the fact that Schwarber is still a key component to your lineup, it's those leadoff home runs, gets those walks, he is your leadoff hitter, you got to have him in the lineup, but you don't want to be hurt by his defensive inability, so he should be playing shortstop. If... You wanted to put your best lineup out there, which Warber is DH, but then have your best lineup at all your other positions. Is Harper better in at first base, where he could be fine, he could be good, he might be a nightmare. We don't know. We've never right. seen him we play there, no so idea. it's a major question mark as to what he's going to be able to do if he could go there and... Oh, by the way, yes, I watch Reese Harper play. Uh, Rice, uh, Hoskins. Reese Hoskins played first base for the last couple of years. Not good. Um, so uh, yeah. if you're going to compare him to Reese, he might look pretty damn good. Um, is Harper better suited for first base? Do you want to put him in left field, which is not his natural position, right is, but mm -hmm. the throwing you'll need to do from left is much less strenuous than you would from right field. You've got to make that throw all the way from first and third. Castellanos, who I thought was going to be as big a butcher in right as Schwarber was going to be in left, has actually played pretty darn well in right field. He has. He has. A and last year I was uh, even reserved about it. He had mastered the sliding catch that he was great at making, but the rest of it was still below average. He's even been better than that. Yep. He's running down balls. He's making good throws. He's doing everything right in right field. I'm not saying put him up for the gold glove just yet, but mm -hmm. from what I thought he was going to be, he's majorly improved. 
would you move him to left and put Harper back in right? If Harper at first base is an experiment that after two weeks you look and go, yeah, this is just unfair to him and he hasn't had enough time to work on it and he's actually not getting the job done at first base. How do you reconfigure the outfield if you're going to keep Schwarber at DH? Yeah, it's a great question, and so much of it comes down to what we don't know yet defensively about these guys. We don't know how well Harper can play first base or how well he can play left field. We don't know how well Castellanos could play left field if the Phillies decided to move him. I will say this. I don't think it's quite as simple, to your point about uh, putting pastiche in left field, I don't think it's quite as simple as saying, well, we've got to get those bats in the lineup, however it looks, and we'll just, if we're the Phillies, we'll just overcome the bad defense with great offense. For two reasons, I think it's, it's, you can't say that for two reasons. Number one, the offense is so inconsistent and can go so bad for a stretch of, you know, a stretch of time that you can really hurt yourself, uh, you know, over a stretch. There's no guarantee those guys are going to produce all the time. Secondly, and I think more importantly, because of the rules changes in Major League Baseball and the lack of shifting, I think you need to accent defense and, in particular, outfield speed and skill a little bit more. So the better you can make your outfield defense, there, there is a, a, a give and take there, right? You can't just throw the big bats out there mm-hmm. like you could last year because, well, analytics will tell us the opposing hitters will hit the ball to this spot in left field, and we can just put Kyle Schwarber in that spot. You can't do that anymore. And so defense does matter a little bit more, and I think you have to take that into consideration. And that is one thing that Rob Thompson has got to get the pushing the right buttons thing right for this team uh, going forward. All right, let me get one more in here before time. That'd be Tom from Jersey. Tom, you're on 94 WIP. I'm sitting here listening. Good morning. I'm sitting here listening to you guys. And I want to echo my complaint about the same thing with the channels. Um, it, it's very irritating when you're going to sit down and watch a ball game and you can't find it and or you got to sign in and or subscribe to a channel. Um, I, I just wanted to let you guys know, I know you mentioned it, and I totally agree, but there's a lot of us out here who are fed up with having to do that every time we want to watch a, watch a Phillies game. So. Wherever you can send that message, we would greatly appreciate it because, you know, we stay up late when the games are late, you know, and we want to watch them. But uh, last night, uh, I think it was Apple TV, was it? Oh, yeah. Maybe? Yeah. It was on Apple. Uh, was it on Apple? Okay. And, uh, and then I have to – you have to sit there for – I don't know. It's not the end of the world, but maybe 15, 30 seconds. And then you have to do this sign-in and or subscribe. Yeah. T- oh, Tom, yeah. I, I – I, I I hear what you're talking about, and, and to me the interesting part of it is the the nature of where we are in society. I don't want to get too highfalutin here, but as somebody who writes for the Philadelphia Inquirer and Inquirer.com, I encounter this a lot with readers who ask me, why aren't more things in the actual newspaper anymore? I want the newspaper. And... <laughs> We at the Inquirer, as much as we can, want those people to continue reading the newspaper, but we would love them to switch to Inquirer.com and get mm-hmm. things digitally. And that's kind of where we are in society right now. There's, there's a wide gap, or there can be a wide gap, between people of a certain generation who are used to consuming media one way and people of younger generations who are used to consuming it in a different way. 
And Tommy well, and I are on the same page. We're both annoyed at the time. Not so much the effort, but the time it takes for you to get to the Phillies game, at least in my case. I got a solution for you. 94 WIP. You can find all your Philly games right here on the radio. Doesn't move around. You don't have to wait for it to come in. Oh, no, you punch it up. It's right there, ready for you. You can catch it uh, every single day, including today at 4 o'clock when the Phillies and the Mets do battle down the Citizens Bank Park again. Sealski and McDonald here with you on a Saturday morning. Mack and for Glenn. Mike hanging out. We keep the phones open. 215-592-9494. It is officially summertime. We actually did get some rain, which, other than Mike having to get a little wet last night at the game, isn't a bad thing for your lawn and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, but the other thing summertime brings is baseball every single day, golf season in full swing. Your good friends at Bet Parks is official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Hopefully, you won last week on the major. It's great time of year. Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app following you wherever you go down the shore, up in the mountains, action all summer long. It's right there in your hand, ready to go if you want to get involved in wagering on some games. Download the Bet Parks app casino app and sportbook app now the one that i play with and recommend what do they give you live in-game betting you make a uh, wise decision on the game before it starts you want to double down on it right in the middle of the game can do parlays teasers all of those available to you player props baseball home runs strikeouts rbis yeah, you don't want to bet Harper on the RBIs, but that's just me. Uh, doesn't matter if you've never played with Parks before. Your first bet, $10. If you win, how about $125 in a sportsbook bonus? That's a win-win situation. If you're looking for more action with your action this summer, download the Bet Parks Sportsbook app. Jody Mackin for Glenn Mack now on this Saturday morning. As always, Mike Sealski in the house. We've got you till 1 o'clock, and then you get... Go Birds Radio, which today might be more like Go Phil's Radio since it's Elliot, uh, no Elliot Shore Parks, James Seltzer, and Jack Fritz up at Parks today, leading you into the Phillies and the Mets 4 o'clock start down at CBP. Getting calls in here now. Derek Bodner going to join us at the top of the hour and talk all things Sixers a little bit later. Uh, Mike's buddy from the Inquirer, Matt Breen, going to hop on and do some Phillies with us. So uh, we got a good couple hours planned for you. Need your help. On the phones, 215-592-9494. Nick from Philly, up on 94 WIP. Hey, Nick. Morning, guys. How you doing? Hi, Nick. Um, I have a question, like, about the Harper thing. I hear, you know, everybody's complaining, saying about him not hitting well and everything, but to me. Not everybody. I mean, it well, seems to be just me. <laughs> not everybody. I'll take well, the well, heat okay, for it. I listen all day, every day. And what I, what I did notice was, you know, when he was signed, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not really a Harper fan. It didn't really matter to me. But I watched him from afar, and then I started to see him do things and say, you know, maybe he's pushed himself too hard on Philly, trying to become like this Philly guy, and he's trying too hard. And then I started to see things, you know, that he does, and I'm like, you know what, maybe this guy's for real. But the fact that he got injured like he did, and I mean, all money aside with the millions of dollars that he makes and everything, and the fact that he came back as soon as he did, that says a lot to me. It says a lot about his character, the type of person he is, and the fact that he wants to win for the city. So for me... That says everything I need to know about the guy. I would never even think to question anything or say, you know, you know, complain about him not hitting or anything. And I understand he gets paid a lot of money to hit a ball. But, you know, for me, like, that, how many guys do you know would never – you got a guy on the other team that, you know, beat, he steps on a popsicle stick and he's out for six months. So, um, I, I, I will say I will say this, Nick. I think it's a little – look, a cu- couple of different things. Number one, with respect to Bryce Harper, look, I, I like Bryce Harper. Got no issues with Bryce Harper. When Bryce Harper signs a 13-year, 
contract to play for the Phillies, he's making an investment in the region and the franchise, and he has to do everything he can to make his time here as easy for himself as possible. I'm not suggesting he's being phony by any stretch of the imagination, Jody, but I am saying that when you say, I'm picking this place to play in and live in for the next 13 years, he's going to do things uh, to let people know that he wants to be here. That's just kind of natural. That's number one. Number two is, I do think Joel Embiid wants to win. I, I think he needs to be instructed, if that's the right word, in some of the ways that a pro athlete at the highest level of his sport has to perform in order to achieve that goal. Doc Rivers talked about that uh, last week or the week before on that podcast he did with Bill Simmons, uh, that during Doc's first season with the Sixers, he had to go to Joel and say, hey, I know you're hurting a little bit, but you got to play tonight. This is the way it's done. And I think if there's any hope that Embiid can kind of reach that next, next level as a superstar in the NBA, it's him realizing, okay, this is what it takes, and now I have to start doing those sorts of things to get to where I want to be. All right, two things I feel I need to say here because uh, we've had guys come out and just uh, blindly defend Bryce Harper and basically explain it as the guy came back from a massive injury faster than we thought, so I don't care how bad he is. In the, he's my kind of guy because he sucks it up and plays, and other players don't play when they got to hang now. Okay, I, I had this splitting headache when I went to bed last night, Mike, and I sucked it up, got up this morning. <laughs> Turned on my broadcast machine, and I'm on the air with you today, and I'm going to be here every minute until 3 o'clock. But you don't know the kind of pain that I went through last night with the headache that I had. So if the somehow show goes off the rails, just remember that I'm I'm playing through what was a massive headache last as, night. As J- Dan Jenkins wrote, Jody, you got to play hurt. Yeah, and I'm, I'm doing so today. Number two, it, they're also making it sound like, Jody, I'm a hater. Oh, I am not. I am a big Bryce Harper fan, unlike some who may have said 13 years. What are you going to sign? Nobody should have got a 13. I was all for the Bryce Harper contract. The fact that he signed for less per season than Manny Machado, Mm -hmm. who I thought Harper was a better player, meant that I thought the Phillies not only got a great player, but a great value in the deal. All right, we'll see what it's like in year 11, but we mm-hmm. got a long way to go before we get to year 11. So as of right now, the day he signed as we sit here today with his 168 uh, average with runners in scoring position, I still love Bryce Harper. I still want him. I'm glad that he's here. I got faith in Bryce Harper, but I'm not putting the blinders on. Sorry, I'm just not. If the numbers say he's not getting the job done – for a period of time, and we got 13 years to analyze. No, oh, by the way, the first three, four years been pretty damn good, including an MVP and playoff heroics and everything else. Uh, yeah, I'm going to look at what happened most recently, and most recently as he struggled a little bit. And I got faith that he's going to come around, and I got faith that he's going to get the job done, but I'm not going to just not acknowledge the fact that uh, the guy's in the midst of a bit of a bit of a slump right here. It's an interesting uh difference in perspective and I'm not, I'm not saying this applies to you Jody but to hear p- certain people give Harper the rope so to speak of hey he's coming back he shouldn't be in the lineup I wonder how many of those people look at Joel Embiid in the most recent postseasons the same way that 
hey, I don't care that he got his face broken <laughs> in the first <laughs> round to last year, and I don't care that he had a knee injury in the first round this year. If you're on the floor, you got to play and you got to perform. It does seem like there is a bit of a double standard there uh, for whatever reason. So I think that kind of buttresses what you're saying, that uh, if you're going to treat every athlete by the same standard, then maybe there is some room to rip uh, Bryce Harper in the same way that you would Joel Embiid. For me, uh, you know, I think Harper probably – I'm willing to give him a little more space, I think, than you are. Again, uh, let me clarify. Question, Bryce Harper. I'm gotcha. not ripping Bryce Harper. Sorry. Because I like Bryce Harper, and I want to root for Bryce Harper, and I got faith in Bryce Harper. But right now I'm questioning him a little bit. Chris from Newark's up on 94 at WIP. Hey, Chris. Hey, fellas. Mike, you really rang my bell when you are talking about outfield defense uh, without a shift. Um, Phillies have two of those players right now in their own organization. One of them is at the major league level in Pache. But the guy I really want to talk about is Johan Rojas. Mm. Um, he, he first came on the scene two or three years ago in spring training, and, and they were already saying that he was a big league caliber center fielder with gold glove potential. They just needed him to hit. Well, right now he's hitting 322 with yep. 37 RBIs and 24 stolen bases with an OPS of 857. He has 1,650 minor league at bats, and he's up, his OPS is up 110 points from that to this year. And he's only 22. Uh, he's 22. But the problem is he's being bandied about as trade base, and mm. the Phillies do have quite a log jam. So it's going to be up to Dombrowski to decide which direction he wants to go. Can, can we want— but Hold maybe, on. Let me, let, me, yeah. let me hop in there for a second. Logjam, not if you got Schwarber as a designated hitter, not if you got Harper playing at first base. If that is the potential Phillies lineup going forward, I, I can find room for an outfielder coming up from the minors who's killing it. Well, you just uh, brushed away a few clouds in the sky for me then, Jody. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just not going to happen in the next week or two, Chris. I no, think that's that's the point, yeah. We're, we're talking next year. You know, they, it really can't yeah. happen next year. So if we're talking about, you know, going after Goldschmidt, and that's what it's going to cost. Well, he's got quite a decision to make because, you know, as I was saying, for once, I'd like to see the Phillies do what the Braves do and, and try to do something from within, within, within their own system. I realize they don't have the conveyor belt of big league ready talent that Atlanta does, but um, this, I really think that this guy has a chance to be a really good player. And I, I'm, honestly, I'm not really sold on Marsh's bat. He can go get it. But, you know, he wouldn't be too bad in left field either. Yeah, and, and the other thing, too, Chris, I think this applies as well to their rotation. Uh, again, Rob Ellis and I were talking about this last week. We had Scott Lauber, my colleague from the Inquirer, on, who wrote a piece for Inquirer.com pointing out that Griff McGarry, you know, before he kind of lost his control for a couple of starts there, was pitching pretty well in the minor leagues. And Scott suggested that rather than go out and spend – capital in a trade to go get a fifth starter why not bring McGarry up at some point this season and see what he can do uh, because other teams have done it uh, same sort of thing the Braves have done it the Reds did it earlier this year with a prospect of theirs and you got to get these guys up here at some point anyway and maybe it's not the worst idea to bring a guy up who you don't think is completely ready because he just might surprise you yeah exactly you know the Aside from a catastrophic injury or two within the four starters, I think they're okay pitching. Get that, you know, that, that fifth guy or whatever from within. And, but the problem has been the offense, as you guys mentioned, and the defense. And uh, I mean, it's just just maddeningly what what they did in the first thing against uh, Elder. 
how many pitches did he throw in the first inning against a guy they've never seen? Five, six? Yeah, five. It was exactly I five. Mean, Correct. Come on, you know. And this is oh. what the Braves do. They, they, they can trade away their number one pitching prospect to Oakland and still have because they still have guys coming down the pipeline behind them. Those two pitchers, the guy who pitched last night who got beat up a little bit in Cincinnati, was 20 years old and uh, he was the fourth round pick. Elder was a seventh round pick. And all Elder does is get out. He throws 89. You know, it's just they they're much better at developing pitchers and that's something that hopefully the Phillies get better at uh, relatively quickly. All right, Brian Steve we're going to ask you to hold cuz we've reached the top of the hour. Hour number 2 we're going to start off even though we didn't get to it. We'll get to it next with the help of Derek Bodner from uh, daily6.com. Sixers draft night. All right, it didn't go quite the way some people, you're truly included, thought it was going to be. I thought they'd get a second round pick. Do the guys they sign after the draft move the needle at all? What's the deal with James Harden? Oh, we'll go over it all with Derek Bodner next. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Jody McDonald. Appreciate you tuning in Saturday morning, 94 WIP. Hour number two on a Saturday morning here on 94 WIP. Jody Mack in for Glenn Mack now. Glenn will be back next weekend with Mike Sealski. I'm with Mike Sealski today, so that's a good thing. Appreciate you tuning in. We did Phillies hour number one. We're going to get the Sixers here in hour number two. And to lend a helping hand is one of the best who cover him on a day-in, day-out basis for DailySix.com. Check out his podcast, Sixers Beat, with Rich Hoffman, Mr. Derek Bodner. DB, you thought you were going to have to work hard the other night. You didn't have no. to do all that much work, did you? No, we didn't. Uh, a couple of undrafted players to read up on. But, no, outside of that, not a whole lot. Did you think that they were going to be able to buy a second-round pick? I did because there was pretty good reporting that Joshua Harris had given Morey the green light to spend some money to get themselves a second-round pick. I know it's a second-round pick we're talking about here, but I was uh, a little dismayed, disappointed that they didn't get a second-round pick. Were there not that many for sale? Yeah, I mean, they had their full – I think it's uh, like a little over $6 million you could spend – Per year in a trade, they had the full allotment that they could go out and try to buy a pick. Um, I thought they were going to get that done. You know, I think this is a year in part because the new CBA is coming in and there's now an exception to sign second round picks. It's a little bit easier. You don't have to use a minimum salary or a mid-level exception to do so. Uh, And also, it's a stronger draft class, whereas the next two years are relatively weak. So I think maybe there weren't as many picks available as we might have expected. And the picks that were available maybe weren't going just for cash. You wanted a future second-round pick in addition to that, and the Sixers, in part because of tampering, in part because of trades, don't have second-round picks over the next few years. So I think they were a limit, little bit limited in that regard, especially if you were going to try to buy a pick in the 40s. I thought they were going to get one done in the 50s. Uh, I thought there were opportunities there to do so. Um, you know, I think Daryl Morey, if and when he speaks, would probably say that some of these guys, this is what every GM says, these were the guys that they were targeting in the 50s anyway, so what, they didn't even have to buy a pick. Not sure how much truth there is to that. Uh, I know certainly one of them, Ricky Council, was rated pretty highly. But yeah, I expect them to buy a to buy a pick. I'm a little surprised if they didn't. Sure, Derek, let's zoom out a little bit for kind of a bigger picture look at the off season. There clearly is a sentiment, I think, among the fan base that the Sixers should kind of start fresh as much as they can. That people have kind of gotten exhausted already with the idea of running it back, so to speak, with Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey. You're generally pretty good at looking at things from more of a detached, logical perspective. Put on Daryl Morey's GM hat here for a second. 
how do you counterbalance that desire and the possible backlash of running it back and giving it another shot with the possibility that uh, bringing these guys back is your best chance to make a run? Yeah. Um, you know, I think Daryl does a pretty good job of not really caring too much about fan backlash, and I think he has to. Um, I think you could look at the whole Ben Simmons saga and how long that dragged out, and nobody wanted them to go into the season with Ben Simmons, trade him right now for whatever they can get. Daryl stuck to his guns, even with that pressure, good or bad. And I think he'll do the same here, uh, because I do think as much as fans and callers, or even you and I, might not want them to run it back, I think Daryl's pretty convinced that this is his best chance to win a championship is to do so. And I don't think, you know, once I, he gets that in his head and believes that, I don't think he's going to change that approach because of pressure or fan backlash or anything of that sort. Now, you know, if maybe we go through a year where they're not selling out the Wells Fargo Center or anything like that. Maybe that changes. Maybe pressure comes from above. Um, but right now, I think he's going to do whatever he believes is the best chance to win a championship. And good or bad, I sort of agree with him that bringing James Harden back, hopefully that's not on a, I don't believe it's going to be on a max deal. Hopefully that's on like a two-year deal. I think he believes that is their best chance to do so. And he's probably right because they're very, very limited to pivot in any real meaningful way, at least until you get to the point of possibly including Tyrese Maxey in a trade, which I don't think most of us want to do. So I think he is, you know, I think he's pretty well boxed in, in in part because of mistakes that have been made over the last decade, in part because, um, you know, maybe some of the decisions that he made but I do think he's going to look to bring James Harden back, and I don't think he really cares too much about fan sentiment about that. Fair enough. Um, before we get to Harden, I want to uh, expound on the Harden discussion, but first things first, Tobias Harris. Uh, prior to the draft, there was some pretty good reporting going on that there were teams interested in Tobias Harris, going so far as to name names of the teams that were interested in Tobias Harris. And when I heard and or read those reports, I was like, Really? And then I had a chance to talk to Keith Pompey. Yes, I was one of the guys who was banging the drum about three teams being interested in him. And he said to me, yeah, they were asking for a lot in exchange for Tobias Harris. And let's be honest, what Tobias's main uh, upside right now is he's in on an expiring contract. Anytime you say that, you are not complimenting the player. Uh, but the Sixers were treating him as if he was a superstar player, at least in their asking if that is correct and accurate, just because they had to wait until they got the Harden thing figured out, that they weren't going to move Tobias ahead of time unless they got so overwhelmed with an offer that really didn't make any sense, but they had to pull the trigger on it because it was just too good to pass up? Do you think that was all predicated on, yeah, but we got to get Harden done first? I think it's part of that. You know, I think when Tobias, or when, if James Harden comes back, then when you start looking at a Tobias trade, you go, all right, well, now we need a role player or we need somebody on a lesser salary so maybe we can unlock some room under the second apron to use our taxpayer or our, uh, taxpayer mid-level exception. Um, so there's some financial flexibility that if you bring Harden back and you know that number, then you can start pursuing. Whereas if Harden bolts, I think you look at Tobias Harris and you say, all right, well, that's a salary matcher, we, matching salary that we need if we're going to try to make a, a big move to replace James Harden. So I think once you get you know a little bit of knowledge of what – Harden is going to do and maybe some certainty of what Harden is going to do, it might change how you ap approach a Tobias Harris trade um, because I do think there would be two pretty different goals depending on what happens with James Harden. So, yeah, I think, you know, Daryl Morey is always going to start off every negotiation asking for absolutely absurd trade packages. Uh, that's what he did with Ben Simmons during that whole situation. Uh, you know, I think eventually he has shown that he will come down a little bit and maybe some of this 
frustration leaking from other teams about absurd requests, it's just sort of like a starting point. And maybe Daryl's a little more absurd than everyone, but I think everyone starts at a pretty absurd starting point. Um, so we will see how that changes. I do think getting Harden locked in and having that kind of certainty does change their approach a little bit and makes it more uh, likely that Tobias will be moved. We're talking with Derek Bodner about the Sixers. And Derek, assume for the sake of argument that Harden comes back and the Sixers get him at a reasonable price. They get him at a two-year deal that they can handle. It won't cripple them over the long term uh, with respect to their salary cap. And they're going to run it back. What kind of player is James Harden going to be? I wonder if we saw the best that's left of him this season. And whatever iteration the Sixers get of him in 2024 and 2025 just simply isn't going to be good enough to get them to where they want to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, history would certainly suggest that a 33-year-old guard is going to be better than a 34-year-old guard and certainly better than a 35- and 36-year-old. So I think there's certainly a, a decent probability that what we saw last year was the best version of James Harden. And when you then combine that with all the reporting that Harden wants more basketball freedom at his next stop. Um, that's a little concerning, I think, for most people involved. Um, yeah, look, I think sort of the way he played in the playoffs is what you can maybe expect. One or two incredible games when that setback jumper is falling, and then the rest of the time he is a ball dominant, but still good passer. Like, I think one thing with the game six and game seven uh, yeah, he controlled the ball. Yeah, he had no interest in trying to finish a layup inside. Um, but I think he did create some good shots for the Sixers shooters, who shot like 20% over the last two games from three. Um, I think that's what you're looking at. A, a guy who occasionally can get hot, will dominate the ball more than you want, be a complete defensive liability, uh, but will have some nights where he gets hot and other nights where he's creating shots for his teammates. He's going to be a very frustrating player. You Sounds like a championship that. formula to me, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's... Um, they're not in the perfect spot. I'm not going to deny that one. Yeah. I just don't see a great way to pivot. All right, DB. I'm going to take you through Harden from Christmas on. And if I'm incorrectly stating anything or you know differently or feel differently, feel free to correct me. Christmas, the story breaks. James Harden back to Houston. That's where he's from. That's where his family is. And, oh, by the way, Houston would have interest in reuniting despite the fact they screwed the team going out the door. And I thought that was a completely planted story by Harden and his agent to try and drum up some interest and give him some leverage with the Sixers or anybody else. And then as the season wore on, I talked to you and others, and they said, no, the owner really does want him. He needs to put fannies in the seats, and he thinks Harden can do that. This is not a one-sided story just brought out by one side. There is legs to this. And then this week, the Houston Rockets might not be as interested as everybody thinks. And Harden back to Philadelphia is more doable than we thought a month ago. What, if anything, has changed in Houston? It was my take on the story inaccurate from the beginning. What is the real Houston James Harden story? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, you know, I, I, I've probably talked to you about this probably 10 times since then. And I think, yep. you know, I've been pretty consistent that I thought that um, Houston was in part a leverage play, but in order to be a leverage play, you actually had to be willing to follow through with it. So I do think there was some interest from James Harden. If there wasn't actual interest, then that wasn't a real threat. Um, I do think he would have gone back if Houston would have blown him away with an offer. And I think Houston did have some interest, but I think it had to be on the right terms. Um, so I don't think it was necessarily completely drummed up, but I think the way it was leaked throughout the media was very clearly a, 
you know, we have to apply some leverage to get the the contract that we want. Um, so I think, you know, it to me, at worst, it was a toss-up between Philly and Houston. I never really thought Houston was the favorite and certainly not the foregone conclusion. Uh, I think right now we're just getting closer to the deadline where teams actually have to make a decision, and we're coming to the realization that neither team is going to offer James Harden maybe the contract that he wants. And I think when that, all things are equal, that increases the Sixers' chance of bringing him back, in part because I think, you know, being a team without cap space or really any other options, they're probably going to offer him more than Houston would. Uh, and in part, because that gives James Harden the best chance to win. So I think it was, you know, I think a lot of the talk has been, like I said, trying to drum up interest or maybe a little bit of pressure. Um, I think there was a little bit of real interest there, but we're getting to the point where you just realize they're not going to go as far as maybe James Harden wanted. So it's uh Sixers are the best opportunity. Last one for me, Derek at the draft Thursday night, the San Antonio Spurs, of course, had the first overall pick, and they get the opportunity to take Victor Webanyama, who, if you read the scouting reports, and even if you watched his interviews during Thursday night's draft, uh, is regarded by a lot of people as the next potentially transformative player in the league. Uh, I guess I have a two-part question for you. One, what are your thoughts on uh, Webanyama and his potential and what kind of player he might be in the NBA? And then two, I'm always kind of in a push-pull between how much success teams in the NBA have because they're really smart and they do things the right way and how much of it just comes down to the fact that, hey, the Cleveland Cavaliers happen to have the first pick the year that LeBron James came out and the Golden State Warriors happen to be able to draft Steph Curry because two teams ahead of them took point guards who weren't Steph Curry. Uh, So, Webb and Yama, your thoughts, and then that – difference between good fortune and actual um, basketball acumen yeah i mean the the, the perfect um way to sort of answer that you know the golden state warriors a team that you know took steph curry took clay thompson took epe Udo with the like six or seven pick in the draft uh and if you're listening to this and you have no idea who that is there's a reason for that he was a really bad basketball player yeah <laughs> there are it this first of all the nba draft is extremely tough uh, and even the best in the world will get it right or wrong more often than not. And second of all, it does come down to a lot of opportunity. It is a it, it's a weird combination. Um, I mean, Greg Popovich spent his career thanking Tim Duncan. Uh, I think he understood that. And part of that was in jest, but I think part of that was, was, was serious too. Uh, team building in the NBA comes down to a lot of luck, um, both in terms of other teams making mistakes and also just you getting a pick right um, – with maybe your scouting isn't necessarily all that strong. It's, 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 it's real tough. It's real interesting in that regard. Uh, right. In terms of what Wambanyama, it is, you know, on the one hand, those big guys, there's so many concerns in terms of just injury risks and staying healthy. Um, but what he can do at seven four seven five, it really is something that we've never seen. And he seems very mature for his age. Uh, he's a very experienced having played over there for so young and long and in pro leagues. Um, and just the, the, the guard skills at that height while being able to completely dominate a game. I mean, he is, there's, it's a, a real strange combination of like Rudy Gobert and Chris Stapps Porzingis, but like an actually good Chris Stapps Porzingis and what people thought Chris Stapps <laughs> Porzingis was going to be when he came into the league. He just has so many guard skills and moves like a guard at that size. It is completely absurd. And I'm real interested to see how that translates when he gets, you know, big, strong physical players who can, you know, get under him and push him off his spot and how he's going to adjust to that. But in terms of skill and makeup and potential and, and, and body and size, and it's just an absurd, like we've, we always like to make comps on players 
and comparisons and historical whatnot, there is no real comparison for him. You've never seen a combination of that size and skill um, come into the NBA, and it's really exciting, and I can't wait to watch it. And I'm, you know, a little jealous of of you know after going through a couple of years where the Sixers had the number one pick and you, you know, didn't exactly work out. A little jealous that the Spurs fans get to watch this prospect because I do think he is completely unique. Derek oh. Bodner leading the league in understatement right there. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, like a Wemb- out, yeah. you know. Nothing like a Wembenyama Ben Simmons uh, comparison. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's what all the Sixers fans wanted to hear today. Uh, here we go, we'll wrap it up, DB. Um, I've read all the scouting reports in the last 48 hours on Ricky Council the fourth is that he's got a brother sure. Ricky and a brother Ricky and a brother Ricky <laughs> yeah. and he's number four. Okay, uh, we'll we'll figure out the whole name thing as we go. But I'm just talking about what he brings on the court. Sounds good. Numbers look good. All right, doesn't make threes. We can see that right away. Fifty-eight times people passed on calling his name the other night, and he was available, and the Sixers did get him. But if he was good as some of these scouting reports seem to make him be. Why didn't anybody grab him in the two rounds of the NBA draft? I mean, I think most people will tell you that that shot is very, very broken. And he does have a lot of other really good positive attributes. You know, he's good size, incredible athlete, might be one of the better one-on-one perimeter defenders in the draft. I think he has some stuff off the dribble where he can, you know, attack. Not that anyone's going to close out on him, but he can take someone off the dribble. He has good touch inside. Um, I think he's improving as a passer. There's a lot of really good attributes that you would want in an NBA wing today, but he shot 30% on catch and shoot threes. He shot 20% on pull up threes off the dribble. And those numbers for a 21 year old are just not going to cut it. And, you know, if I think if people had confidence that he could improve as a shooter and some people tell you like, look, he shot 80% or whatever from the free throw line. That's a good indicator. His form I think is pretty broken, but if people had confidence that he could improve that to an NBA level, He's easily a first-round pick, but I think most people don't have confidence that he will improve that in any real meaningful way, and because of that, he goes undrafted. He had, I think, one of the most um, wide-ranging in terms of where he could fall in the draft uh, paths of anyone in, in the NBA or anyone in that draft, in part because of how you evaluate his shooting, and I think most teams just do not believe in that shot at all. Uh, and right. in this day and age, you can have all the size and athleticism and defense in the world. If you can't force someone to guard you more than 10 feet from the basket, and not to go back to a comparison, uh, it doesn't really matter all that much. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a tough weakness to have today, for sure. Understood. Now I have to finish with a follow-up. Who's going to fix that shot on the 76ers? It's a great question. They haven't finished, uh, finished building out that set yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and look, I mean... Whoever Toronto worked with Matisse Thibel some... in Portland, go hire that guy. <laughs> sure. Toronto had some success taking these sort of like long rangy athletic wings and turning them into useful NBA players, very good NBA players. So maybe you have some confidence in nurse there. Uh, but I think this kid shot needs a lot of work, a lot of work. It, it sounds, sounds a little like that's the comp we should be making with Ben Simmons rather than Victor Wombanyama, <laughs> as a matter of fact. DB, great stuff. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you much. We'll get you back up again soon enough. Yep, thank you. Thanks, His Derek. website needs to be checked out if you're any kind of Sixers fan, dailysix.com and the podcast Sixers BD does with Rich Hoffman. All right, Jody Mack, Mike Sealski coming back. Despite the fact that Glenn Mack now is not with us today, we'll do a little what, we, what you're watching next here on 94 WIP. 
It is time for What You're Watching, sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Receive 20% off all windows and doors with no money down and up to three years to pay off interest-free. Call Guided Door and Window today at one eight seven seven go guida or visit their website, goguida.com, G-U-I-D-A.com. All right, uh, Mike Zielski, Big Ben, our producer, asked me yesterday, mm-hmm. should we use the Mike Sealski Open or Jody McDonald Open? Because they have individual ones for what we're watching on Saturday and Sunday. And I said, well, it's Saturday, right? So that means you got to use the Sealski Open. I'll oh, keep mine in the vault. We'll, we'll roll out, <laughs> a, out again when Glenn and I are back together on a Sunday. So, yes, what we're watching, Mike Sealski and Jody McDonald's version. Uh, I'll fire first and go then ahead. Uh, let you go. Sure. Um, I actually did do some watching, and the streaming that I did prior to going on and off and on and off and on and off and waiting forever with last night's Phillies game <laughs> on Apple. No, here's one thing I do like when I watch a movie streaming because then you're locked in. Then yep. you're there for the next two hours. You know you're going nowhere fast. you got to go to the bathroom. You have to pause. Boom, you come right back and you watch the end of the movie. I watched two sports-themed movies, which were in the theater and had now reached the streaming services. Both of them happened to be on Amazon, which is my favorite streaming service because I don't really think that I pay for it because (laughs) we had it ahead of time because the wife does enough purchasing mail delivery service to the house. So uh, it was coming out of the bank account to begin with anyway. So I get all the TV stuff for free in my eyes. So both, both happen to be on Amazon. Uh, my daughter suggested uh, both of them for me because she saw both in the theater because she works for Comcast in their entertainment department. So I take her suggestions along with Mac Now's and yours when I hear you guys on Saturday. Uh, I watched both Air and Creed 3. Ah, okay. I have seen neither of them yet because I am way behind in my viewing. Uh, but go ahead and tell me what you thought. First on Creed 3. Good. Not great, because there's no way around it. It's been there, done that. It's just a next-generation thing. Uh, Creed, uh, Creed comes out of retirement. Where, where, where have we seen that before? Yeah, I, I don't he know. retires Which... <laughs> the champion and returns to uh, win the championship. Kind of been there, done that. The whole... Uh, it's, uh, the big fight is him against a friend of his when mm-hmm. he was a kid. So it's a, a little different slant as far as ages go, which made it just different enough, but there's only so much you can do because there are only so many storylines you can use. So they spin it a little to make it a little different from what Rocky was all about. And uh, if you've seen all the Rockies, 28, 29, 30 times, like I have, <laughs> you kind of been there. Uh, here's the one thing I will see, say. The CGI is off the charts. Oh, okay. The the stuff that they do, and I'm thinking it's CGI because it's a sweat just flying off their bodies mm-hmm. when the punches are landed are the best I've ever seen, ever, in any boxing movie. So it is worth it just for that, although there are some repeating storylines. Uh, as far as air goes. Yes. Here's the most amazing thing if you didn't see it. Uh, and again, I, I'll apologize if you want to tune out real quickly and then come back. This is a quasi spoiler. Not a great spoiler, but a quasi spoiler. You never see Michael Jordan. Yes, that's right. I've heard that about the movie. And it's a uh, it's an interesting directorial choice by Ben Affleck. Right. And it he's there. 
you see a profile shot, you see him from behind, he's in a couple of meetings, but he is certainly, although it's all about Air Jordan, he's not in it. It's his parents, it's his mom, it's Sonny Vaccaro from Nike and uh, Ben Affleck playing the head of all of Nike and it's it's a well-told story. It's a walk down history uh, lane, and it just hits home for me, Jody McDonald, because Michael Jordan was drafted in 1984, and I graduated college in 1983. Mm. So that was my wheelhouse. That was my time. The music that they use is all of that era, the cars, the clothes and everything. It really does. Not only the basketball and the history of Michael, and it's more about uh, the story of Nike than it is anything else. But what they surround it with takes you back to 1983. And if that was a key time in your life, then you will flat out love this. It's well done. It's a must-see for me. Well, that's a perfect segue to two things in a way that I've been watching. From an 80s standpoint, uh, and I know this show has been out there for a while, but again, uh, we've been, we as a family, my wife Kate and our two sons have been kind of catching up on certain things. We are in the third season of Stranger Things on Netflix. And if you know anything about that show, I'm not going to get into the details of the plot and all of that. It's been out there long enough that people probably know what it's all about. But to your point, Jody, about kind of traveling back in time to the 80s, That is the thing that makes this show so enjoyable to me as somebody who was born in 1975, who is a total child of the 80s, to go back and watch some of the kind of the, see kind of the cultural touchstones and the music that is used throughout that show. It's just such a treat in that regard. And then it's a really spooky, you know, kind of scary, fun show to watch. So we are plowing through season three of Stranger Things, which, again, has been out there for a while. So I'm not telling anybody anything they don't already know. Uh, If you're a sports fan and do get a chance, and I'm part of the reason I bring this up is that it is on TV as we speak. So when you finish listening to the radio, go to one of the ESPNs and go see the 30 for 30, the luckiest man in the world, about Bill Walton. It is four parts. It is absolutely terrific, both as a look at Walton as a character and as a basketball player, and also kind of as a look back to that era. Uh, You know, Walton was at UCLA in the early 1970s, speaking out against the Vietnam War, against Richard Nixon. It takes you back to kind of that culture of that time. And then just the what might have been for him as a basketball player. Uh, I actually got to speak to him last week. I did a piece for the Inquirer. The Sixers tried to lure him out of UCLA 50 years ago in 1973 to make him the first pick in the draft. They had just finished that 9-73 season and had the number one overall pick. And their general manager at the time, Don DeJardin, wanted Bill Walton terribly, even though Walton did not want to leave UCLA and was never going to leave UCLA. The Sixers threw the kitchen sink at him to try to get him to leave early. And it was really kind of fun talking to Bill about that. And if you get a chance to watch the documentary, uh, The Luckiest Man in the World on ESPN, you should do it. It's funny that you mention that. I was on the air. I was on CBS when it first aired over the weekend. uh, Or maybe it was a night here on WIP. I don't remember which one. And it was on because I just got ESPN on my TV and the volume down. I don't, So I knew it was coming on. I couldn't watch it because I was on the air. And I record all the 30 for 30. So I've got it. Yeah, I can go back and watch it anytime. I haven't done it yet. 
it just brought back memories of that championship round against the 76ers, mm-hmm. which I was, I'm a New York kid. I grew up in New York as a Knicks fan, but I was a Dr. J fan, yep. and I loved them with the Nets. So that championship, no questions asked. I'm rooting for the Sixers because Doc is now a Sixer. And they just got handled in that series, and I had kind of forgotten some of the gory details. And I couldn't even hear the call and what they were saying. I was just watching the highlights going, oh, I remember that now. Oh, I remember that now. Oh, that stunk. So it's a, if you're a Sixer fan who, who quasi-remembers what it was like when they got beaten that championship series, it'll open up some old wounds. But if you tell me it's a great story about Walton, then it's one worth watching. It, it is, and it's worth watching because – Walton has become such a part of sports pop culture over the last 30 years for his TV work. And the fact that he makes these, you know, exaggerated pronouncements whenever he does a broadcast and he seems a bit like a space cadet at times and can be really funny. Uh, And Frank Caliendo does the impression of him. And that's how most people know him nowadays. But if you watch the documentary, documentary, excuse me, you are reminded what a great player he was and how awful it was that he suffered injury after injury after injury because he really could have been just a brilliant, brilliant basketball player for a long, long time, and he never got that opportunity. The guy spent 14 years in the NBA and missed four full seasons because of foot injuries, and it's just a shame. I'll tell you a quick aside for Bill Walton. And I mentioned this. I know where I mentioned this was here on WIP the other night because somebody else brought it up. Hey, Jody, have you seen the Walton documentary yet? Uh, His career after basketball. I'm in New York. I'm coming over the Brooklyn Bridge, which means you're in Brooklyn and you're heading into Manhattan. I'm going back up to Westchester, so I'm going up to Yonkers. Um, And he comes on the Dan Patrick radio show. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm just coming off the Brooklyn Bridge, and Dan's punching him up, and he asks Walton a question. And then you got to get on the East East River Drive in Manhattan, and there's always traffic. It always takes forever. But, but so even though it's probably only a, an 18-mile drive from Westchester, where I was living in Yonkers at the time, to Brooklyn, it can take you three hours because you never know what traffic's going to be. But on this given day, the traffic wasn't that bad. I got all the way up the East River Drive and was going over the Willis Avenue Bridge to get into the Bronx, and Bill Walton finished answering the one question (laughs) Dan Patrick had answered. He had just gone off on a stream of consciousness, 20 to 25-minute answer to one question that Dan Patrick had asked, and to Dan's credit, he said afterwards, thanks, Bill. And they just went to break thereafter. Not a word out of Dan Patrick on the Dan Patrick show for 20-some-odd minutes. Walton just talked and changed subjects and just went off on all. He truly is an entertainer. So, uh, Oh, it's amazing. And, and the impression that Frank Caliendo does and did of him is so good. He did one, I think it was on radio once, where he talked about, you know, I could smell colors. I could see noise. It was just... <laughs> Uh, It was so good. But again, the character that Walton has become in his later years, in a way, kind of obscures what a great player he was and how terrible it is that at the NBA level, people really didn't get to see him in full flourish because of all the injuries. But he is coming back up in conversation again these days because people say the Joker is the best passing big man since Bill Walton. 
because Walton was a phenomenal passer in his day when he was at the top of the game before his injuries unfortunately curtailed the phenomenal career he could have had. Had a damn good career anyway, Yep, but it could have been even better. Mike Zielski, Jordan McDonald here with you on 94 WIP Saturday morning get-together. Let's get the phones reopened. Sixers or Phils, top of the hour. We'll get Matt Breen up, talk a little bit more about the Phillies. Mac and Mike coming back here on 94 WIP. That is Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN this week after the draft talking about the Sixers and James Harden's contract negotiation. And Mike Zielski, Adrian Wojnarowski is what? Uh, Polish? (laughs) (laughs) That too. Uh, No, I was specifically looking for a descriptive adjective of the type of job that Adrian Wojnarowski. An insider. Relentless. No, no, no. Plugged in. Here's the Mike Sealski line. What? Information broker. Oh, gosh, yes. An information broker, of course. Yes. He is like numero uno of the, (laughs) well, Schefter might be number one if you're bringing all sports in, but in the NBA, he would be number one, is he not? Six million Twitter followers can't be wrong. You got that right. Uh, So he is the top information broker, a phrase I use often and oftentimes forget to give Mike Silski credit for it, but wanted to do so here because I heard him use it and said, damn, that's on point. Uh, So, yes, Adrian Wojnarowski, top information broker, giving you insight to the Sixers and Harden and their negotiation. So let me get you on the record, Mm Silski. Yes. There are many different ways this could go. Number one is he doesn't resign with the Sixers, goes to Houston or somewhere else, and the Sixers move on with their life. He signs a one-year deal at whatever the number is. It's irrelevant. It's all Josh Harris's money. Mm -hmm. They're already over the cap. So uh, other than how it could affect how far they're over and what penalty they could play on the second apron, then I start to – my eyes start to glass over when Same. I start to talk about some of this stuff. But it is what it is. It's not going to be a dollar three eighty. It's going to be thirty five, forty, forty two million, whatever it is. But it's a one year deal. The key aspect being length, one year. Or he signs a one and one, like he did this past year, just in case the bottom falls out and he's just god awful, and he can say. Oh, yeah, I'm stepping into my $40 million next year because I need it because nobody else is going to come close. Or it's a two and a two plus or a three. What is the what is the best number for Mike Sealski that you would be good with? Is it no, no, no. Moving on. See you later. Bye, James. One, one plus, two, two plus, three. What do you think would be one way you can go, all right, that's good for the 76ers? I would have no issue with a one-year contract to James Harden with a clean break at the end of the one year. Go ahead, bring him back, take your shot this year, and then be done with him. Uh, in that scenario, I wouldn't even think about trading Tobias Harris. I'd say, okay, you're going to run it back for this one time. Let's see what you guys got, and then we're moving on from Tobias, we're moving on from Harden, and we'll clean the slate uh, for 24-25. I would have less of an issue with the Sixers walking away from him completely than I would the Sixers giving him anything more than a one-year deal. I think if you even sign him to a two-year deal or a -a one-and-a-one, as you described it, it immediately becomes the worst contract in the NBA. You're counting down the clock to the end of it. I would would much rather say, we're going all in this year, guys. Here's your shot. Let's see how you do, and then we are clearing the decks. Here's the reason why I am— 
almost 100% with you. If you do a two-year deal, then he's not matching up with Tobias anymore. Right. Here's the key. You need him to match up with when Tobias Harris comes off your cap. But because then you are opening up enough cap room that you are a legit big-time player in free agency going into 2024. If he signs a one-year deal, my plan has been, because I don't think they're going to get lucky enough to get him to a one-year deal, I'd, I'd let him walk away, sign the best free agent that you can, not for mega bucks at whatever the mid-level exception is or whatever, and run it back again next year with Tobias, with Tyrese, with Joel. Know that you're not winning 50. What, they win 53 to this past year? 52, 53? They won over yeah. 50. Yeah. You're not winning that. No. But can you win 45 and get the six seed and not have to play in the play-in? Yeah, you could. So you take your puncher's chance in the first round, and if you win, you win. If you don't, you don't. If you win, you get to the second round, which you do all the time anyway. You didn't need James Harden to get to the second round. So be it. And then you're the big-time player the year after because that one-year free agent you signed is out. Harden's money is now cleared. Tobias' money comes off, and you're the big-time player. I'd be okay with that, even as a – process uh, uh, non-fan as to mm-hmm. what it turned out to be, this would be like mini process. Yes, I'd be all right with a mini process as long as I know when it's going to restart competitive again, that would be the year thereafter, unlike the process which we continually told yeah, when we get there, when we get there. <laughs> ask, ask Brett Brown. Don't ask Sam Hink. He's hiding behind the curtain. So I would be okay with a mini step backwards to take a bigger step backwards the next year. So the only question for me is, is it better to have Harden for one year or no years whatsoever? I am with you. Two years is a bad deal for the 76ers. Yeah, and look, I have no idea whether James Harden would be willing to take a one-year deal. I don't know that anyone has any idea other than James Harden. And this is all predicated on that. We we don't really know what Harden wants to do. A lot of this is, as you've pointed out, is gamesmanship. Uh, but as I said, I would sooner let James Harden walk away than commit to him for more than one year. I just feel like, uh, as I mentioned with Derek Bodner when we had him on a couple of minutes ago, we're already in the diminishing returns stage of James Harden's mm-hmm. career. Uh, I know that Daryl Morey probably isn't taking this into consideration at all, and I understand that he can't take it into consideration, but I think that if you brought Harden back for more than one year, the atmosphere and reaction around the team would get really toxic really quickly. Uh, I I know that Maury doesn't want to hear that, and from a strictly logical standpoint, you can make a case for bringing Harden back as your last best chance to try to win a championship, but Man, I think people would be turned off by that, and they would much rather see the clean, fresh start that you're talking about than the running it back for more than one year. And I don't know if it was Derek who said it or you said it, but when you said it, I said, yeah, that's exactly right, and that's interesting. During the Joel Embiid era, from the time the process got over and done with and they actually were a representative team and made the playoffs, they've been playing to a sold-out house basically nightly. Uh, that Joel is a big draw here, and people were so glad that they'd turned the corner. They've been selling out the house, top team attendance in the NBA next, uh, last year. I don't know that that's the case going forward. With mm. the way they lost Game 6 and Game 7 to Boston, the fact that MB didn't come up uh, big, the fact that Harden would show you a 40-point game and then be completely non-existent, I'm with you. I, I don't know that the ticket-buying fan base – 
is as married to this team if they come back on Moss again next year. Yeah, I, I wonder. I, I don't know for certain, uh, but I wonder. And, you know, it, it's an interesting sea change in a way, Jody, because, mm-hmm. you know, you and I have talked about this before. I've certainly talked about it with Glenn. I've written about it and talked about it on this station a lot. The the generational divide between those people who saw the hope and promise and potential of the process of breaking it all down to build it back up again and those people who didn't like it from the beginning and uh, kind of celebrate the fact that it really didn't work, uh, I think the fan base would be united <laughs> in its you know, exhaustion or frustration over, oh, we're really trying this again. Um, I just wonder what the reaction would be. All right, need your thought on one other thing. We've got an open phone line if you want to get in quick. we got Matt Breen joining us at the top of the hour. All right, John from Brimbo. We'll get you in just a second, I promise. One other NBA thought I need from you first, though, Mike. Mm -hmm. While the Sixers were inactive, other than signing undrafted free agents, and we'll see if uh, the kid uh, council can play, some people acknowledging he's got skills and underselling the fact that he doesn't shoot real well. Didn't we already do that with Ben Simmons? We did. Uh, never mind. Um, a lot less at stake this time. Very true. Undrafted free agent is compared to the number one pick of the draft. Uh, very very good point from you, Tsielski. Um The Celtics did make a big deal. Yeah. The Sixers didn't, but the Celtics did. And I'm seeing varying opinions on this deal. What do you think of the deal the Celtics made? Uh, I think losing Marcus Smart hurts them uh, more than getting Kristaps Porzingis or wherever they got in the deal for him helps them. I think he was really... A counterbalance to uh, the flightiness, I guess you'd say, of the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown kind of core. I think Marcus Smart was their toughest player. I think he brought something that teams need, and I think they're going to miss him. And I would be surprised if they end up back in the Eastern Conference Finals next year uh, to burp up another round to the Miami Heat. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't love the deal from the Celtics standpoint. Yeah, I know I'm in the minority here. Sorry to say, Sixer fans, I think the Celtics got better. Mm. Um, Porzingis has been a unique individual. They called him a unicorn when he was drafted. Uh, when he was on the Knicks, uh, I saw a couple. What has Porzingis ever done after April 1st? Well, he's been on bad teams. He, the Knicks were bad. He was the only player they had. They decided to move off him, chip him out to Dallas. I, at least in Dallas, he was number two. He didn't have to be number one because they already had right. Luka. And uh, that that relieved the pressure off from a little bit. Then he gets dealt to Washington. They're awful. But, again, he was number two behind Beal. This is the first time Porzingis is going to have uh, – doesn't have to be the number one or the number two. He's going to be the complimentary third guy who's going to score the basketball for Boston. I think Malcolm Brogdon will be a better fit with the two superstars they have there than Marcus Smart. I love Smart's attitude. I love his aggressiveness, the heart and soul of the team. I get all that. I think your superstar player has to be the heart and soul of your team. It's going to be sink or swim with uh, their superstar player. I I think they actually get better. And, oh, by the way, they got draft capital on top of it. Mm. They got the 25th pick, which they turned into a couple of seconds because they weren't going to look to add another player this year. They don't have to. They got a future first-round pick next year. They got all that for Marcus Smart, mm. who I think Brogdon can replace, and Porzingis just gives them a different look. Sorry to say, Sixer fans, I think the Celtics actually got better. I think they made a hell of a trade. Uh, we'll see. I'm I'm less persuaded that 
than you are. I think Porzingis is just a 21st century version of Keith Van Horn in a lot of ways. And um, I, I don't see him adding to the Celtics in the way that, that you might. All right. but, yeah, well, you, yeah. could be, you could very well be right, Jerry. We uh, and and most people agree with you, not with me. But I, I uh, and Mark is smart, by the way. And my daughter's a Celtic fan. I forgive her that, but she is. Um, and I could tell you that whole long, boring story, but I won't. Uh, Mark is smart, one of our favorite players. He just takes bad shots. He does. He and, does. And and because he's the heart and soul of the team, because he's such a hustler, because he's this that, people overlook the fact that he just forces up bad threes at bad times. When you have two superstar players on the team, you don't need Marcus Smart taking a contested three. So I think there could be a little addition by subtraction. What there if as the well. Boston Celtics had traded for Bryce Harper, Jody? What would you have done then? <sighs> That's a, it, it, there are there are some similarities there. I get what you're getting at. I kid, I kid. Different as well. All right, uh, Jody Mac, Mike Steelski, we had an hour left to play. Time out here. Brain of the inquiry. Do more features work than. Philly day in and day out, but he's down the ballpark all the time. We'll talk some Philly baseball with Matt Breen next here on 94 WIP. Third and final hour, Saturday get-together here on 94 WIP. It's Mac and Mike. Jordan McDonald in for Glenn Mac. Now Mike Sealski by my side. Uh, we're going to get Matt Breen of the Inquirer up here in a couple minutes to talk some Phillies baseball. But uh, we got a caller right now wants to get some Philly baseball in with us before we get Matt up. Oh, it's my guy, Trucker Jerry. What's up, guys? How you doing? Where, where where are you blaring your horn, Jerry? I am rolling on I-70 West, getting ready to go through a town called Wentzville, heading towards St. Louis, and my final destination is Kansas City, Missouri. Very nice. So. All right. W- Wentzville, wave to Carson. Did you see uh, on social media he killed a bear yesterday? Or the I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's spelled W-E-N-T-Z-V-I-L-L-E, so it's spelled the same way. I, it's the oddest thing I see out here, but, uh, yeah, so I'm just rolling along out here. It's nice and sunny out. It's been nice and sunny for the last five days. Nice. Not like it has been back home, what, it's been raining for four or five days, I guess? Yeah, pretty much. All right, um, what's your Phil's point, Jer? All right, my Phil's point is, can I, one real quick thing on, on, on what to watch for. Netflix, the new series of of uh, um, How to Catch a Killer. You gotta watch. It's got the Unabomber. It's, not, it's got the the Atlanta bomber. It's got the DC sniper. It's got the train killer. And it's a, it's a real up series, is what you're saying. Jerry. <laughs> it's, brand, it's, brand, it's brand new. And yeah, it just came out. I watched them all last night. It just came out okay. yesterday. And it popped up. So yeah, it's called Catching Killers. It's phenomenal how these guys can actually track these people down with no clues at the beginning. It's just it it just it just fascinates me. That's all. I just love watching. It's just it's intriguing. But if you get a chance on Netflix, check it out. My gotcha. Philly point is finally. You know, I guess we're going to beat up on the Mets this series possibly because the Mets aren't that good right now for some reason. I don't know, but you know the Phillies need to beat the teams like the Braves. They have. If they want to, you know, that's my opinion. Like, you know, losing two to the Braves, it's okay. We lost two. But the way they lost them, they just didn't hit the ball. I mean, they just didn't swing the bat. I get get it, Jerry. I totally get it, man. Thanks for the call. Jody, my feeling on this is if you're thinking about catching the Braves during the regular season, if you're a Phillies fan, you're 
your kind of orientation is off. You have to think of this in terms of what happened last year, where you get into the playoffs and you can make hay once you get there. That's how this team is built. No, they're not a consistent team. And that's part of the reason that they made the run to the World Series last year that they made is because they they were really good for a pretty short period of time, for about a month. And that's who this team is. And the idea that you're going to uh, catch the Braves or that you ought to be comparing yourselves to the Braves at this point, to me, is misguided. Just get in the playoffs and see what happens. And if that had never happened before, I could see the downside to it. Oh, it happened 10 months ago. So right. let's say it can happen again this year. You and I are in agreement with that. We'll see if Matt Breen agrees with us. Featured writer for the Inquirer, Philly's beat guy forever. Still gets down to the ballpark plenty. We'll get his take on the Phils this year. Matt, Jody Mack, and Mike Sealski here. How are you, bud? I'm good, guys. How you doing today? Hello, Matthew. Hi, Mike. Great to hear from you. <laughs> So your thoughts here on what we saw last night from the Phillies and and in totality, too. Uh, You know, obviously a couple of losses to the Braves that have people disheartened. But as I just said, I don't look at those and say, okay, well, they're done for because they can't beat the the Braves. There are a lot of teams in the National League that aren't going to beat the Braves. I think the Braves are the best team in the National League. So they get a win last night. You see a well-pitched game from Taiwan Walker. Kind of what's your position on where this team is at and where you think this team realistically ought to end up? Yeah, I think you look at like what you guys said, you think about last year and you just I think last year showed us obviously the how important the wild card is and how much of a it used to be winning the wild card got you a one game playoff and it was kind of a you know, a token to get that. But now you're getting a best of three series um probably even if you're like the phillies on the road last year you're going to a team that's beatable you're probably going to go to like an nl central you know whoever wins the central and i think that's just it's just the the route to look at and forget looking at the nle standings the braves are most likely going to run away with the division that's fine start looking at the wild card they're right in the mix for the wild card and then you can start crossing off teams like you know, no offense to the Giants. I don't think they're going to be standing there at the end of the season. The Miami Marlins, probably not going to be there in September. Um, you have the Dodgers. Uh, the Padres are right behind you. And the Padres, you know, too much talent, you know, to probably not be in the mix at the end of the season. And the Mets, the same thing. I think the Mets still are, you know, they have talent. So it's like you don't you don't count count them out just because of the record right now. It's, it's early. They can get hot, too. And for me, the Phillies are so, you know, the first – half of the first half you the starting pitching was so poor and walker was you know a big part of that so to see him the pitch pitching the way he's been pitching it just opens it all up and and i think this team is really going to the bats are going to get hot harper going through a little bit of a dry spell but kind of happened last year too when he came back from the il didn't, didn't he did a real quick rehab assignment was hot when he came back then went through a little bit of a slump and then was hot in the playoffs so I think everything is going to, you know, pick up in the right direction and just forget about the Braves, forget about the NLEs, folks on the wild card. Yeah, you better be careful, Matt, pointing out that uh, Bryce Harper isn't quite doing what he's supposed to do just yet because I I got beat up in the first hour here for suggesting he could pick it up a little bit. That would be nice for their their star player. So uh, thank you for at least acknowledging that he hasn't gotten hot yet with me, and we all believe that he will at some point. Here's one of the questions the Phillies have to answer, and it it certainly includes Harper and how this team is going to go out there defensively. 
I don't want to make too much of one play, but it's not really one play. It just came at the biggest time that shown a spotlight on it. Kyle Schwarber stinks in left field. Let's let's be honest. He's a bad <laughs> left fielder, plain and simple. He should be designated hitter whenever it is available to them. When Bryce Harper gets to the point that he can go back on the field, is he going into the outfield? Is he going to first base? Do they, if he's playing in the field, that opens up D8 so Schwarber could go there. Who should the Phillies be looking at as potentially their left fielder? How is this going to shake out for the Phillies when Harper becomes a an option to go back on the field? Yeah, you, you, when, when he comes back on the field, and they've said this this week that it's not going to be till after the All Star break. So you, you have to hope that 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 you know deadline is not much further than the All Star break because I agree with you, Schwarber needs to be the DH or at least be able to rotate in the DH. He can't be every day in left field. Um, and Harper playing first base it just opens up. It gives you like the flexibility right now to have a better defensive team, but it also gives you the chance at the deadline to go and add a corner outfielder. And that's someone that, you know, a right-handed bat that also can play a solid left field or a solid right field. If, you know, if you swap Castellano. So it's important. It really is. Um, it's great. Like, you know, Harper's back from Tommy John surgery in record time. Like that's amazing. And now the next hurdle for him to clear is to play first base. And I think normally you would say that, you would count against the guy that, you know, if it's taken this long, it's probably not going to be a while. But then you remember how quick he beat the Tommy John just to return to, to hitting the lineup. So I, I, it makes me wonder. I was thinking about this last night. Like they say the all-star, it's going to be after the all-star break. And they said the same thing for when he's going to come back and he, he beat that. So I, I would, and this is just a gut. I would be really um, not that surprised if he's playing first base before the All-Star break, sooner rather than later. We're talking to Matt Breen, former Phillies beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, now current sports feature writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Matt, we're talking a lot about Bryce Harper. We're talking about Kyle Schwarber's defense in left field. We're talking about the improved starting pitching, thanks to Taiwan Walker and Zach Wheeler and Ranger Suarez. Aaron Nola has been a conversation topic with this team all season and for, for generally for reasons that have not been great because he's been inconsistent in his performance. The one thing he's been consistent in, though, is that for 13 straight starts now, he's lasted at least six innings. He's pitched at least six innings, and I think, I want to say this, 14 of his 16 starts. Uh, he had the bad opening day, which I think obviously gets the season off to the wrong sort of tone. I'm curious if you think there is a a turnaround, so to speak, within Aaron Nola this season. He's talked a lot about how he doesn't like the pitch clock and having to work faster and all of that kind of stuff. Is this the Aaron Nola we're going to see until September, or do you think it's possible that he will adjust and bring that ERA down and pitch like the guy everybody ex- you know seems to expect him to be? Well, think about how important this final stretch of the season is for Aaron Nola personally, going into free agency. And everyone keeps talking about the pitch clock and you're going to want to give, you know, a, you know, a huge contract to a guy if he's pitching poorly and they keep bringing up the pitch clock about why he's pitching poorly because the pitch clock's not going anywhere. So he has to figure it out for himself personally. And then, you know, and I think he will, it seems like, like you, you had said, you pointed out the six innings, especially the other night he pitched good. I, I think he's, he's too talented to fig, to not figure it out. You know, he's not, he's not, 
he wasn't Aaron Nola, you know, really, you know, above average major, a really good major league starter, just because, you know, they didn't have a pitch clock, and then that's that's just going to take him away just because because they have it now. So, I think he's figuring it out. I think he will figure it out um, because there's just too much on the line for the guy. Like there's just he has to, and, and it seems like he's starting to show the inclinations that he is. And how important is that? Like you, you, we talk about like, oh, we know what the Phillies have at the top of the rotation with Wheeler and Noah. But they really just kind of had Wheeler for, you know, the first chunk of the season. And now if you do have Wheeler and Nola and you have two guys and then all of a sudden Walker's emerging and if Ranger Suarez is pitching the way he's pitching, that's great. It's four starters. And then, then we, we know what they have at five, which is nothing. So that that's <laughs> the problem for me is that they need to take care of that fifth starter. I think, like, again, like you don't worry about the Braves. Like, almost don't worry about Nola where like Nola – will take care of himself. Like he, he's still a really good pitcher who's figuring out this new pitch clock and, and it's, it's getting there and it's, it's almost there. But the fifth starter down the stretch, when you're trying to make up ground and, and stay in a wild card race, that needs to be addressed. I hope Christopher Sanchez is listening to hear Matt Breen say they have nothing as the fifth starter. Oh, he's going to go out right. again today and get the job done and lay claim to that. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I just wanted to point that out. Uh, do want to ask you this about the bullpen. Uh, you know I do shows here on WIP after the Phillies games at night, and it never fails. The bullpen is always uh, to blame. And the way that <laughs> Rob Thompson uses the bullpen and the choices that he makes out there. You compare him to all the other bullpens in baseball, this is kind of that same argument as a fifth starter. Oh, everybody's fifth starter loses games. Not as many as the Phillies had in the first 45, 50, uh, 70 games of the year. But um, – do you have any issues with the way Rob Thompson uses the bullpen? Is that something that Dave Dombrowski still needs to address? Or are bullpens bullpens and you're playing a guessing game there anyway and you just got to cross your fingers and have some faith that the guys you picked are going to get the job done? You can always, and they probably will. It seems like every deadline, you know, contending teams add to their bullpen. And I'm sure because, like, teams that are out of it, that's the first thing they want to trade. They don't need – um, you know, guys on one-year deals pitching the back in the bullpen, or they don't need, like, you know, the Nationals have some hard-throwing guys, but the Nationals' window of contention probably the next season. So it makes me remind of the Phillies, like, when they had Ken Giles, who was excellent, but they didn't need Ken Giles because they didn't need a closer for where they were at their at their time. So I think that's it's something they will pick up, that they, they'll go out and get bullpen help. But right now, I, I it's like bullpen management is – it's a funny thing because it's like if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it's like the guy's an idiot for what he did. And it's just so – it's so like – I don't know. It's a lot of like Monday morning quarterbacking with, you know, ripping apart the manager when he does it. Because when he, when, when things go right, you got, the guy gets no credit. When things go wrong, it's like, you know, I, why would it, I would pitch this guy in the seventh and this guy in the eighth. And, and I think they have – right now the bullpen has constructed – there's a – couple different options at the end of the game, which is more than you can say they've had in the past few seasons. You know, it seems to be, you know, a pretty solid bullpen. Um, I like some of the guys they have. They, they throw hard, which, again, like, you think back to the World Series, the Astros, just it was like, you know, seven guys that could come in and throw hard, and the Phillies had about one. And that's that's really what swung the series, is they didn't have all those weapons. So they tried to address that this offseason. They went out and got hard-thrown guys, and I, I like – there's the, the weapons that they have out there. And I, I think you'll see Dombrowski go and get 
you know, even if it's a middle inning guy, that just pushes somebody else into a high that can be used more in a high leverage spot. So I think for sure it'll be addressed. Matt, last one from me. Uh, you've really carved out a great niche in the Philadelphia sports media market uh, with these feature stories that you write for the Inquirer. They are kind of sometimes where are they now pieces, slice of life pieces. You've profiled Frank the Animal Biolois, you know, the former enforcer of the Philadelphia Phantoms. You did one the other day about seats at a ballpark in Spartanburg, South Carolina that were originally in Connie Mack Stadium. You did one about a group of guys who clean Connie Mack's grave all over the place, um, and they're all really great. How do you find these stories? All different ways. Um, you know, I read a lot. Obviously, we watch a lot of sports. You listen to sports talk radio. You're on Twitter. Uh, talk to people like the Connie Mack, this stadium in Spartanburg, South Carolina, that uses Connie Mack seats since the 70s. Uh, my wife's, I mean, my mother-in-law's um, longtime boyfriend played there in the 80s as a Phillies minor leaguer. He was, we talked down the shore and we just talk about, you know, his old, guys he played with and I'll throw names at him because he you know played with played with against everybody just you know at the time and he's like you should write a story about this place Duncan Park in Spartanburg they had Connie Mack seats and everybody played there you know going back to Jackie Robinson and I was like I don't know it doesn't sound like a story but let me look at it and I was like you know what you know all right there's a story I can get a story that sounds good and like next thing you know like these are things like I was telling you Mike before like I'm writing it, and I'm like almost like like I like it, but I'm almost like embarrassed to like put it out there because it's like the night before it goes out, I'm like, is anyone going to read this story? And like next thing you know, it resonates with people because you know we all kind of think this. Not that we are like monolithic and we think the same, but like we all have the same interests. We all like sports for the same reason. And I, you know, I'm from here. I don't hide that. Like I grew up as a, you know. A, you know, faint, uh, crazy Phillies fan. Um, I obviously still talk like I'm from here. I have no plans to change that. Like, it's yeah, just we, who I am. I, so I've, like, been, I've been telling you for years, you really need to fix that accent. And, yeah, I, like, and I can't like, allow you around my children because then they're going to start talking like you and it's just all going to yeah, go downhill. My, I'm like, well, it doesn't pass on. And like, now my kid says, I don't want to say water the right way, but like water, like that's how I say it. And like he's saying, I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> but like, it's just that's just what I like. I'm interested in the same stuff that you know a Phillies fan is because in my heart, like you, you, you lose that fandom of like when you do this job, like you have to, you obviously have to be straight and narrow, and like you lose that, and like you're so close to it. But in my heart, like I still am, I'm just as interested in sports as you know my dad, who's a crazy Phillies fan. So like, I'm the stories I want to write about are. Stuff that interests me, but they also interest, you know, the normal sports fan. So I, I guess that's – and to me, like, every story I do is interesting to me. So I hope it's interesting to other people. And so far, you know, the, not everyone is, but the majority of them seem to be. I think you've hit home a lot, big guy. Appreciate you coming on board with us today. Thanks much. We'll certainly be punching you up as the Philly season goes on, and we'll continue to read the features that Matt Breen does for the Inquirer. Matt, great stuff. Thanks, bud. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks, Matt. Night Breen here with us on uh, 94 WIP. All right, Sealski and McDonald, I'm in for Glenn today, so it's Mac and Mike. we still got 40 minutes left. We're headed toward 1 o'clock. That would be when Birds slash Phil's radio kicks in. Uh, go Birds, go Phil's. 
Uh, you got James Seltzer and Jack Fritz today live from uh, parks up in uh, the Northeast. So uh, we've got you till then, and we'll reopen up the phones. I got another fairly specific question for Mr. Sealski when we come back, but you can ask any question you want of us by getting on our phone lines, 215 592 Dirty Mac in for Glenn Mac now today, hanging out with Mike Sealski at 94. WIP, we got more than half an hour left to shoot the breeze with you. Hop on the phone lines, 215-592-9494. Thank Mike Breen. For, uh, Mike Breen. I called him Mike. Oh, that's so funny. Bang! Ben sent me a text yesterday and said, I got Mike Breen's number, but if you could send me Derek Bodner's number <laughs> so we can send him. So I text him back. I go, no, that Mike Breen guy kind of calls basketball. But I, I'll, I'll text you Matt Breen's number. I happen to have that. Uh, so then I go ahead and call We're breaking Mike Ben Breen. in. It's all good. It's yeah, all good. Uh, Ben's breaking me in because I just called Matt Breen Mike Breen. So it's uh, on my. It's on me. Um, here's the questions I have for you, Mike Sealski. I'm going to make you Dave Dombrowski here for a second. Oh, man. Uh, sorry about that. That's okay. Um, we mentioned Rojas earlier, mm-hmm. the Phillies young outfielder who's uh, – putting up good numbers at double-A uh, right now. Yes. Which, I know he's 22 years old, but he spent half a season at double-A last year. And he's, if not crushing it, doing quite well at double-A this year. Why isn't he at triple-A? I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm not even going to pretend to know why he's not at triple-A. Uh yeah, I wish I had something else to tell you, Jody, but I Yeah, don't. you don't have the answer. Okay, good. Because, um, uh, again, the comparison between the Phillies and the Braves, and I took a bunch of calls the other night when I got beat. Oh, we can't beat the Braves. Why are we even in this if we're just giving the Braves a division? Well, the Braves are good. And, give, I, 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 and I know this doesn't work in the hot take world in which we live. I give credit to the opponent every once in a while. It's mm-hmm. not always decided by the ineptitude of the greatness of the home team, but the Braves are damn good. And part of what makes them good is Spencer Strider, who pitched very well against the Phillies the other day, uh, two years ago, started the year in low A. Mm-hmm. Not high A, Mike, low A. Yep. Dominated, they got him to high A. Dominated, they got him to double A. Dominated, they got him to triple A. And damn if they didn't get him to the majors, for a late September, October cup of coffee before the Braves went on to win the World Series. They moved the guy from low A to the big leagues in one calendar year. And the Phillies kind of let their guys stay. And, you know, I've been uh, tied to the game forever, and my father being in it, and development and making those decisions, and you don't want to move a guy when he's going well or whatever. What the Braves are doing is working, and the Phillies just let a guy, even when he's doing well, stay at the same exact level. Are they under-aggressive with their young players? And I know it sounds stupid for me to say that because I thought they were over-aggressive with Painter during the offseason, but he seems to be the exception, not the rule. Why aren't the Phillies more aggressive with their good young players? Well, I think Dave Dombrowski, and this gets to what you're saying about Painter, has never shied away in his career from – bringing up a kid who is just that, a kid. He's taken chances in the past when he was running the Marlins and the Expos and the Tigers. Uh, He's not opposed to that in theory, so this may very well be changing. And as you said, Jody, I think if anything, you could make an argument that they were much, much too aggressive with Painter, that they they didn't have a safety net uh, on the chance that he injured himself, which he turned out he did. So... uh, why haven't they done that in the past? It's 
it's been a mystery to me. I think they have been cautious. I think there have been a multitude of reasons for it. You can go back to Ryan Howard and Chase Utley. That those guys, they let those guys either sit on the bench or sit in the minors until they were 24 or 25 years old before they brought them up because they were hesitant to do that. So uh, I think it's a combination of things. I think in the past they didn't want to spend money. That's certainly not an issue now. Uh, I think they were just unsure of themselves as an organization when it came to promoting their own people. Uh, but again, I think Dombrowski is a, is a different animal altogether, and we've got to give him a little bit more time to see uh, whether he pulls the trigger on bringing up some of these kids. Okay, I have just one more question for you, Mr. Dombrowski, if that's okay. Go ahead. Um, Andrew Bellotti, who when he was with the big club earlier this year, had some issues, most of them throwing strikes, but he walked way too many guys for the 12 innings that he paid. He walked nine and 12 and change innings, which is not good enough. So uh, he gets hurt down to the minors. In June, he's had eight appearances. He's given up exactly zero runs on six hits, striking out nine over eight innings. No, oh, by the way, he was as good as any other Philly pitcher, including like Alvarado last year at strikeouts per nine. He blew people away coming out of the bullpen. And he's walked zero batters in eight innings and eight outings in AAA this month. Why is he still on the Iron Pigs and Dylan Covey is still in the Philly bullpen? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, Jody. I don't know what the thinking is there. Get him back up here. Uh, Dylan Covey has shown himself to be a less than competent major league pitcher. Uh, so get Bellotti back up here. I'm, I'm with you. Why he's down there, I do not know. I have I've not... Talk to Dave Dombrowski about these topics, so anything I say would be just totally complete right, speculation. Just, just checking. I thought maybe you had a better answer than I did. I do Glad not. No, I'm I the only not. one who doesn't understand what the hell is going on here. <laughs> no, I, I, I join you in communal ignorance, my friend. Thank you, sir. All right, uh, we're going to Mike, who's out there on Route 35. Mike, you're on 94 WIP. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. How are we? We're good. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a what I watched this week. I saw the new Jennifer Lawrence movie, uh, No Hard Feelings. It's very much like something with uh, something about Mary. That I'm, It's goofy on that part, but it's very, very funny. Okay, cool. Good, good to know. Number two, um, didn't that, uh, the Chinese wonder guy Otani have the ligament surgery that Harper had? I, I'm I'm sorry? Didn't Otani, the Chinese guy... Well, first of all, uh, Japanese. Um, ...had the surgery that Harper had. And I understand it took him a long time to recover and get his power back. Well, again, he's a pitcher. Uh, and I don't think his power was as short as you're describing it or not as short as Bryce Harper's been since he came back. I don't get the comparison between the two. And, oh, by the way, there is a difference between being Chinese and Japanese, right, Mike? Uh, yeah, no I'm, I'm not quite sure what the point of that call was, to be yeah, very honest. Yeah, no, nor am I. Uh, so we'll try Sean from Holland up next. Holland, PA, that is. Hello, Shawnee. Hey, it's Jody. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Hi, Sean. I want to go a little, Jody, a little earlier you said about James Harden letting him walk. I want to go a little further with that. Okay. If you let James Harden walk, Sixers are getting a second round with or without him. And I think they have two players right now on the roster, young and hungry, mainly Springer and McClung, can help this team. Not all-stars, but help this team. What you think? 
Yeah, I think you're over-evaluating the guys that the Sixers have in their organization slash on their bench year. Uh, McClung won the All-Star dunk contest last yeah. year, which was great, and put on a show. Uh, I got no idea whether he can play in the NBA or not. Are you I judging that? You're play. judging that on um, his ability to win a slam dunk contest? No, no, no. I'm not judging McClung on that. I just think he can help a team. But Springer can play. They haven't given Springer much of a chance up here, Sean, and I have to – I've seen him. I, I don't know yet what the outstanding skill he has is. Maybe maybe you've seen more of him. I, I haven't seen something that when I watch him play, I go, yeah, that guy that, – there, there's that thing that he does that will make him a successful NBA player. I think he's just as good as, as a, whatever you have on the roster right now, like McDaniels. He's I, he's better than McDaniel's. No, right now. I, no, I, I I disagree with you there. I and oh, by the way, McDaniel's is not on the roster. He's a free agent that they have to make a decision on whether they want to bring him back or not. Uh, you're right, Mike. They they haven't for whatever reason really given Springer much of a chance. Uh, like he had uh, put up a bunch of points in the last game of the season, which the Sixers knew they couldn't move up or move down, right. so they sat all their guys and. Do you really find out if a guy can play in the NBA with a game like that? No, you don't. And, look, I, I get some of this. I get seeing Mac McClung in the dunk contest and seeing both of those guys, both McClung and Springer, uh, down with the Blue Coats in Wilmington. If you, I've been down there once or twice to see those guys. Uh, again, I, I don't look at either of them as difference makers in any regard at the NBA level. And again, maybe I'm completely wrong about this, but I've seen them play and I say to myself, okay, how, how is that translating at basketball's highest level? Is Mac McClung going to get to the rim in the NBA in the way that he does at lower levels of basketball? Uh, tell me what Jaden Springer does that's going to get him in the lineup for meaningful minutes uh, on the Sixers. Uh, I, I just don't see it. And I'm not saying he can't. Right. I'm just right. saying we don't know, and the caller is making it sound like, you plugged this guy in, he's getting 14 a game for you next year. Yeah, I don't know that. No. And I haven't seen anything that says it will happen or won't happen. We'll find out, depending on how the offseason roster construction goes, whether he's going to get a bigger chance next year. All right, Sealski and McDonald here with you on 94 WIP. Final segment coming up, and then we throw it up to Parks, where you get uh, James Seltzer and Jack Fritz in for LHR Parks Day on Go Birds slash Phillies Radio. I will right, come back and make calls in as we can. You want to get in before the show comes and goes, do it at 215-592-9494. It is summertime. Baseball night in, night out. Mets fills again today. Golf season well underway. We got one more major to go. The British coming in a couple of weeks. Bet Parks, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour, wants to do summer with you. Great time of the year. Bet Parks Casino app follows you wherever you go. Down the shore, up to the mountains. Get in on all the great action. It's all right there in the palm of your hand. Odd slots, bets, games. Join me and download the Bet Parks Casino Sportsbook app, only one that I play with and recommend. Check out their offers. Live in-game betting, same-game parlays, teasers, and much, much more. You get more than score player props with baseball hits, home runs, strikeouts, golf, finish as the winner, top five, top ten. And if you've never played with Parks before, great first-time offer. 
Make your first bet $10, and if you're a winner, Parks will give you $125 in a sportsbook bonus if you hit that first bet. Great way to join. Think about it. During the summer, you're going to have some downtime. Why not have some fun? Why not make some money with the Bet Parks Sportsbook app? All right, coming down the home stretch. Again, if you want to get in right here in the final segment, do it now because we got open lines. Turn it over to James Seltzer and Jack Fritz live from Parks coming up next with Go Birds slash Phillies Radio. But if you want to help us finish out the show, do it at 215-592-9494. And I know Glenn does this with me, so I'm sure he does it with you as well, Mike. Uh, we try and touch on all the teams here on town when mm-hmm. we get the chance. We've been talking heavy Phillies and Sixers, understandably so. I got an Eagles question for you. I know the Eagles are on vacation, scattered to the wind all over the place. Luckily, no uh, issues or stories of guys getting in trouble or whatever else. So far, so good. Chris, uh, uh, summer vacation going well for the Eagles. Yes, it's. Uh, but training camp will be here before you know it, Jody. It's only a month out. We're counting down the days. I think it's 31 until training camp. That's pretty sad that I know that, but it is what it is. Um, This upcoming year's roster, Mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, what we all have to worry about when we've got no actual stuff going on. How good is the roster? How is it compared to everybody putting out their lists and their rankings and everything else? Who won this when they get there 31 days from now and start the preseason and the joint practices mm-hmm. and everything else, which will get us to the first roster? A guy who's going to make the team, but then his future with the Eagles sits in the balance. That this is a really big make or break year in the career of this individual player. And I'm asking you for the most debatable one. Because there are some guys that if they jumped up and got the job done, you go, wow, that came out of left field. Didn't see that one happen. And there are some guys that you'd just be flat out shocked if the bottom fell out. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about a debatable guy. A guy who's sitting there as a 50-50, could go either way, really be a major contributor. Or, yeah, this guy's never seeing an Eagle uniform after 2023 again. Who's the most make-or-break player for the Eagles this season? All right, well, I have a few. I have a few for different reasons. Uh, number one, the one when you pitched me this question, the name that immediately jumped out to me was DeAndre Swift because he is in a contract year. He is now in an organization where he may very well turn out to be the featured back. Uh, he's coming home. He's a St. Joe's prep kid, uh, and he's – playing for a second contract. And the NFL is a running back, and not many running backs get second contracts. And the ones who do, the money's coming down. So, to me, DeAndre Swift stands out. I think he's going to thrive in this offense. I'm really curious to see what he does. But he's got a fair amount at stake. Uh, That would be number one. The other one might be a little bit surprising to people because the Eagles were so excited to get him. But I could make a case that this is, to a certain degree, a make-or-break season for Jalen Carter in that there are so many questions around him and his maturity and his behavior and actions off the field that he really has to show throughout this first season in the NFL that he can do the things you need to do to stay a productive player on the field, if that makes sense. And I think it's fair to wonder about that right now. There's a reason that he fell to nine in that draft and that the Eagles had the opportunity to jump up and get him. And I want to see what he's all about. I want to see how he performs. And I think it's fair to wonder if 
things don't go particularly well, what kind of future he might have in the league. I love your DeAndre Swift one. That absolutely fits the criteria I was looking for. Carter, not so much, because unless he goes out and is involved with the death of another person again, he's going to be here again the year after. Yeah. The Eagles are kind of married to him with the contract that he's gotten. Now, superstar level down to, yeah, this guy will be around until his contract runs out and then move on. Yeah, there's a big diversity between the two. But for the year after, yeah, he's definitely locked in because he was the ninth pick in the draft. Yeah, I'm Uh, looking at it more as kind of like a tone setter for his time here. You know, Jordan Davis – came in and got injured and showed flashes, and uh, he's going to get more opportunity. He's going to get opportunities to show what he can do in uh, along the defensive line. Carter, it's a different deal because of the baggage that comes with it. Uh, I, I see where you're taking it. I was uh, looking at it a little bit differently. Well, come with me to where I was Here's taking the, it, no, Joey. No, no, you no, asked no, me. No, 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 no. I want you to come with me <laughs> to my guy, which is... Oh, it's Quez Watkins. Yeah, it's I, all about Quez Watkins. I had him on my list, too. He was the third he, guy. He could be, and we know what his role is. He's the third wide receiver. He's not going to surplant Smitty or, or A.J. Brown, but he had opportunities last year, and he dropped them, both literally and figuratively. Oh, that Super Bowl drop is ugh. Yeah. So, and, and Nick Sirianni on his last media gathering before summer vacation went out of his way to talk about Quez Watkins and that Quez is here and that some people think he stinks and he's got this oh yeah attitude he's going to show you and he's going to was great in the 100 minute practices that they have 100 minute activities that they have not practice you can't call it practice when they're only going seven on seven uh but he went out of his way to specifically point out that Quez was good in his eyes He's got pressure on him this year. Yeah, he does. Quez, you got to be better than you were last year. Otherwise, Quez Watkins will not be on the Philadelphia Eagles the year after. Or if he does, if he catches all of them and takes the top off the defense and has three 50-yard touchdowns, oh, yeah, Quez is getting a contract extension. So I think it really is a big make-or-break year for Quez. All right, uh, quickly on the flyer side. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody loves Jonesy. We all love Jonesy. We're glad Jonesy's in charge. Jonesy's going to be great. Jo- Jonesy may or may not tell fart jokes in his uh, playoff, his uh, media availabilities. But I'm liking what the Flyers are doing. Just the fact that they're so transparent. Briere is out there talking about the team before the draft. No untouchables. and like. I don't know whether these guys are going to be great at their jobs or not. But it just has a different feel to it. The new uh, era Flyers, the new group of people in charge. I think there's something that the Flyer fans can at least sink their teeth into this offseason. How about you? Yeah, I would say this, Jody. I think it's easy and convenient to say, oh, they're just bringing back a new uh, breed of old Flyers, right? Oh, it's Danny Briere. He played here. It's Keith Jones. He played here. It's Patrick Sharp and John LeClaire. They played here. The difference to me is the the way in the small sample size we have so far of how they're going about doing things. Uh, the openness to trading Carter Hart. The willingness to go through and trade Ivan Provorov. These are some of the moves and proposals that a team in the Flyers situation has to consider and has to make to get back to where they need to be. And I agree with you. I like how they're speaking openly and honestly, at least so far, about where they're at now. Some of that is undoubtedly kind of a distraction from the fact that they're not going to be very good, and this is going to take time. But this is something, this is a position that the organization should have been taking for a while. 
And at least they're not trying to pull the wool over people's eyes and say, well, we're going to compete for a playoff spot, and everybody knows once you get in the playoffs in the NHL, anything can happen. That was baloney, and they kept peddling that for a long time when they shouldn't have been. And I appreciate the uh, reconciling with reality that's happening right now. Understood, and you and I are on the same page there, which we haven't been on all the topics today, so it's nice to finish up with one that we are on the same page. 215-592-9494. Brian from Georgia is up on 94 WIP. Hi, Brian. Good afternoon, uh, Jody and Mike. Nice to be with you guys. You too, Brian. Hey, I want to ask you guys a question about Bryce, and then I'd like to just talk for a minute about the ordeal of following the Phillies uh, uh, living out of the area. Okay. So, um, yeah, Bryce, uh, you know, uh, it's, a lot is being made of how miraculously early he came back from this surgery. And I assume that at some point uh, he will get to the level that he would have gotten to um, if he had stayed out longer. But do you think that point will be delayed because of his having come back early? I don't. I don't think so. There there haven't been, by any indications I've seen, Brian, um, any wear and tear on him yet, any indication that because he came back early, he's not hitting right now. I mean, he came out of the gate like gangbusters, as Jody and I talked about earlier in the show. I think this is just a matter of him being in a bit of a slump. And, you know, what we've been kicking around is the degree to which you can uh, criticize him or point out that he's in this slump. Uh, But I don't think it's necessarily a matter of, oh, because he came back early, he's going to be damaged goods come September and October. Okay. Uh, So, um, yeah, down here, uh, first of all, I'm very grateful to be able to listen to you guys on all the WIP shows using the Odyssey app, right? Nice. But you're probably aware that when the games come on, uh, it doesn't carry WIP anymore, right? You get some syndicated CBS sports stuff. So it takes an MLB TV subscription to watch or to even listen uh, to the to the w, to the local feed, and um, so I will give w, uh, MLB TV credit for this. Last night the the game was on Apple TV, of course, and MLB TV had a button right there that said the game was on Apple TV. Click here and we'll take you straight to Apple TV, and it did. Nice. But um, MLB TV also this drives me nuts. All of our games against the Braves are blacked out. Oh I, yeah, I just, because I just of where you are. It. Yeah, whether it's in Philly or Atlanta, they, they don't carry it. So uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm that, I'm not familiar with the rights deals down in Augusta where you are, Brian. Uh, but I would think it would have something to do with with that. With you know, these are where you are able to watch the games. Right, right. Do you get do you get the Braves games regularly on whatever your cable and or whatever, however you're bringing the TV into your house right. these days? Do you get the Braves? Could you watch the game? Uh, if like today, if it's on a Brave channel, no, my the, my streaming service is Hulu, and the the channel that carries the Braves Bally TV or whatever it is is not in my lineup. Oh, you know, so I would have to get a different streaming service that has that. And I did that a couple of years ago, but I just didn't like their other channels that they had. So. I'm content to listen to uh, Scott and uh, L.A. It is always here on WIP. Exactly right. That's a great alternative, Brian. Yeah. 
Have a great day. You Brian, too. Thanks, thanks so much. Appreciate you checking in. We started talking streaming today because last, last night's game was on Apple, and I had to wind about having to wait for it to punch up on my television, and we're going to finish up with it as well. You did a lot of whining today, Jody. Got to be honest. If it wasn't Apple TV, it was Bryce Harper, it was James Harden. I don't know, man. You call it whining. I call I call it true thing, but that's okay. We can we can we can look at it through different colored glasses. Um, so we get uh, Phils again. We've got uh, the uh, boys up at Parks next. Jack Fritz and James Seltzer. No, we, no, uh, Elliot today. Uh, those guys will be talking plenty of Phillies. They'll get in birds since it is called Go Birds Radio. I'm sure, but uh, a lot of Phillies uh, between those two guys today. And the Phillies and Mets again. A four o'clock start here on WIP. Christopher Sanchez takes his stand, takes his shot for that number five uh, starter spot. He was pretty good last time, and I liked Sanchez last year. I'll be truthful. I didn't like the way he threw in spring training, and I had had no issues with him not being in the mix at the start of the year. But he looked pretty good last time. Is this the start of the Phillies' fifth starter spot being filled, Mike Seals? This is the day that Chris Sanchez says, I am not a nothing. I am a man. I am a fifth starter. I hope so, because uh, Max Scherzer goes for the Mets, and, and Scherzer has not been his Cy Young self this year. With no, but he's been better four. lately. He's 4-0 and in his last four, ERA right around three, I think, so he's he might be getting there. Yeah, he got off to a little bit of a slow start, but he is uh, pitching better. So it's a good one. Coming up uh, later today, Mets and Phils right here on 94 WIP. Uh, you're back next Saturday with that Mac now guy? I am. That's the plan. So, uh, Mike will be back next Saturday. Uh, you got the boys from the ballpark tomorrow. Al Morganti and uh, Rob Ellis will be on uh, tomorrow morning rather than Glenn and myself. But I'm looking forward to getting back with Mac now next Sunday as well. So, uh, next weekend, be here. Sielski on Saturday. McDonald on Sunday with Mac now. Don't even think about touching that dial right now because you've got James Seltzer and Jack Fritz. Yeah, they're calling it Goldberg's Radio, but I'm guessing they're going to be talking plenty of Phillies live from Parks next here on 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.